0: Ball Fist Ball
1: G'day Fisters, and welcome to the lucky 13th episode of The Fist, The Whole Fist and Nothing But The Fist. So help me pod, the official Fistball Australia podcast, or as it's known from Antwerp to... Zozen <laughs> as T F T W F A N B T F S H M P T O F A P. I'm your host Chris Super Mario Milne, and back on the pod is my illustrious co-host Malcolm Mr Fister London. Welcome back, Mal.
2: Yeah, thanks, Malny. Uh, it's good to be back. And yeah, you did a did a fine job without me, so I you know feel fairly uh, fairly comfortable if I just don't want to do it for a <laughs> while. But you know you'll find your Lee and or Rolf or someone can can fill the boots. So that no, was good, and. Um, Happy to be back.
1: Yeah, how's the fistball farm going?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's going well. We're all um, all back home now. It was a little bit of a, a, a rough first couple of weeks. Um, yeah, bub had to spend a couple of weeks at the ICU in in Melbourne. Just a few dramas uh, early days, but she's she's going well now, and we're all back home and settling in. So that's good. But nice. but yeah, all good now and um, back on deck. So happy to be back on board. Good, good.
1: Uh, and you may have also noticed now uh, there was a little hint in our intro as to our guest for tonight. Um, so, I'm going to introduce him. Forget the Red Devils, that's old news. The Belgians, right now, are mad about the Red Jellyfish. I guess he's one of those Red Jellyfish. And a European sporting superstar, he has graced the international fistball field for Belgium at both the European Championships and the World Championships. Boasting decadent chocolate, delicious waffles. Fancy beer and now a 2-0 record over Australia, the Belgians are on a roll. And our guest here today has played a big part in at least one of those things. And after a violent and bloody coup, he is now the president of the Belgian Fistball Association. Rest in peace Bert, he never should have turned his back. Mm-hmm. However, I for one welcome our new Belgian overlord, so welcome to the podcast, Sander Coyen.
3: Hello guys, that's quite the nitro. I'm a very honoured to be part of your podcast
2: are the most um, popular podcast in the Southern Hemisphere.
0: Mm.
2: Mm. And now the, the most award-winningest podcast uh, <laughs> in the Southern and Northern, Eastern and Western Hemispheres, I believe. <laughs> so. I, I saw, I saw. I'm proud. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love the Eastern Hemisphere. That's my favorite hemisphere. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Fest. Fest. Fest.
1: Boy. Let's, uh, let's get straight into our beers for this podcast. Malcolm, do you want to start for this one?
2: Uh, yeah, I can do that. Um, I thought I'd stick to our uh, theme and go and try and find some some Belgian beer. And I was going to just be a bit boring and get some Garden or something. But then I found a couple of other beers at the at the bottle shop that are a bit more exciting and really big. So I've got one that is a <laughs> Le Chouf, oh, wow. a blonde uh, beer. It's, it's like a nice a 750 ml, 8%er I was going to do that but then I, f- I found another one that I'm going to open first just cuz it it has a cork and I've we've never done a beer with a cork on the on the product before so this is um I think it's pronounced Shimei Trappist Grand Reserve so it's um made by the the, the trappist monks in uh, some monastery in in belgium so uh and yeah again a, a nice 750 mil bottle at a, at a lazy nine percent so that's about uh-huh. five and a half standard drinks in one beer so when i'm hung over tomorrow I'm like, i only had like two beers doing the podcast i don't know what you're talking about so <laughs> but yeah it's a little bit of a mission here so i've got to like twist off the, the thing and then this
1: is a whole new sound effect for the podcast are we going to get a pop
0: Oh, oh yeah! God, I hope it caught that. Totally worth it.
2: I did it right next to the mic, so it should be fine. And then I'll do a, a nice, uh, a nice pour there, and I'm gonna overflow.
1: I know that feeling.
2: So I hope you approve of my of my Belgian, my Belgian beer. And I do have my little Belgian red jelly fist bottle opener if I need it for the other beer later. So okay. there you go. That's my that's my uh, entry. Mm.
1: Sander, what have you got? It's uh, nice and early in the morning for you there, so.
3: Yeah, first of all, it's uh it's a great choice for a beer, Shime. Uh, it's uh, one of my favorites. What well done, I? But I got um not I, I didn't find any Australian beer. I wouldn't even know what an Australian beer looks like, probably with the cork on the bottom. <laughs> now, I got this um this microbrewery beer. It's um it's called PP Louis. Okay. It's a triple. It's from a father from a friend of mine, and the PP stands for Pompoenpitter, which means uh, pumpkin pits. So he, he made like a recipe with a uh, pumpkin pits in it. It's it's a very delicious dark beer. The only thing I dislike about it is the slogan, because it's a um, a peepee a day makes you feel okay, <laughs> which which first is a, a really strange slogan, and also I mean I don't drink beer to feel okay. I drink beer to feel great. So. Um, it's like, I don't feel okay if I, drink the, if I don't drink pee-pee, but um, yeah, that's my beer. Uh, it's not in a, in a can, but I'm glad Hashima was also not in a can, so I don't have to feel guilty about not bringing a can to this podcast. Uh, I don't know if Did you hear the opening. I certainly can. Yeah,
1: yeah. certainly can. Fantastic. Uh, cheers. Yeah, cheers. I'll um, get onto my beer. Uh, I've actually got two beers. For this podcast, which is probably a bit unusual for me. But uh, first one, I'm going to start off with this one. This one is actually a Japanese beer. It's a full strength beer. They say that the gentle fruitiness of the aroma complements the sweet maltiness in the mouth and in turn balances perfectly with the clean bitterness of the finish for a full flavored beer that retains its flavor when ice cold. But anyway, it comes in a green can. In fact, it's often Actually called a Green Demon, which is a nice fistball tie-in. So yeah, this marvellous drop is called uh, Victoria Bitter. Uh, And this one goes out to Laurie Young, who actually told me that I had to drink one this week. So I look forward to $50 being in the bank account.
2: So usually the only sound sort of comes to mind with a VB is it being crushed against someone's skull after they've shot down the can. <laughs> it's,
1: oh, it's a fine job.
2: VB in a glass is uh, yeah, not something that gets <laughs> that happens all that often.
1: Well, certainly not poured from a can. No. Definitely, obviously, from the uh, from the tap, but that's a, that's a whole different matter.
2: Yeah, I, th- I know Laurie was um, lamenting not requesting you to drink a warm VB can, <laughs> but, you know, he didn't put the he didn't put enough fine print in.
1: I do like though that they say that it retains. What I was saying was actually pretty much word for word from the from the website for for VB. But um, just the fact that it re- retains its flavour when ice cold. So basically, <laughs> at a temperature where you cannot taste anything, it retains its flavour. Genius.
2: I thought you might go for the uh, how's the ad? Going? You know, you can get it jumping. You can get it. On. You can get it in the <laughs> old house. Matter of fact, I got it now. <laughs> for a hard earned thirst, needs a big cold beer.
1: Uh, but my other beer, that, which I will drink later on, is also a Belgian beer. It's Saison Dupont or Dupont. No, I don't know it. You don't know it? Okay. No, I don't know it. Where is it from? Oof. I don't know where it's from. And I would butcher the name anyway. So, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice little Belgian Saison. So, I'll drink that once I've uh, gotten through this VB because I do have to complete it. I believe that's part of the, uh, the request. Fist! Boy! I guess we should talk a little bit about news, fistball news. We actually have some fistball news this time now. Yeah. A bit of local news, I guess. I guess we should start with the Clemens Kronsteiner Alwyn Oberkirch medal night. You were there. What did you think of the event?
2: Uh, It was choice as, bro. (laughs) Kiwis dominating Australia in fistball again. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was a good night, but yeah, with three of the four major awards being taken out by expat uh, Kiwis, mm. but uh, no, it was really good and um, good fun. Good to actually finally have that awards night that's been cancelled twice and then two seasons worth of awards put into one halfway through the following season, but... Um...
1: Yeah, because I guess we should point out that it covered the 2018-2019 season and the 2019-2020 season, so yeah, we had four... Major medals to hand out, plus uh, Most Improved Rookie of the Year for both seasons, plus the National Team Awards. So, I mean, I'll read out the winners. For the uh, Alwyn Oberkirch medals, Sam Leatuli, I believe I said that right, won both medals back-to-back, which is a uh, first time that's ever happened. First time we have even had a double winner, let alone back-to-back. Uh, so that's a huge effort by Somersoni. And then Rod Matthews won the KK medal for the eighteen nineteen season, former captain Rod Matthews. Temporarily former, he says. Uh, and uh, Lion Storm, Hawking Giant, Ash Bishop won the uh, 1920 KK Medal.
2: The Astronaut.
1: The Astronaut. Incredible effort, considering he only started playing, what, like four seasons ago, and he's kind of really worked his way up. Mm. Other winners on the night were Miguel Neal, Josh Bevis, Beavis, Bevis, Bevis, Alastair Nugget-Smith, Thomas Quaif, Kelsey Jameson, Matt Quickdraw McGraw, Summersoni actually won another award as well, and of course... Um, Benny Giles. Shout out to Benny Giles.
2: Shout out to Benny. <laughs>
1: and then the National Team Awards was John Yor and Brooke Mackay, won the MVP awards for the men's and women's team respectively, and Bryce and Jess uh, were the best team players, which is uh, an awesome effort. And then this was all after a Fistivus, which was uh, good fun, first Fistivus for 2021.
2: Yeah, and I think, was that the fir- was that the first time you've played since Switzerland?
1: <laughs> yes, that was the, the first time I... Uh, Put on the boots. I actually pulled my boots out of the shelving unit uh, in my house, and my fistball boots, and they actually had Switzerland mud still encrusted on them, on the bottom of them. So, uh, a few comments there about declaring them at customs, but I cleaned them up and, and got out there, and I was I was terrible. But you know, it was good to it's good to get out there and try to remember how to play the sport. I haven't played for eighteen months. I really enjoyed it. It was a good turnout.
2: Yeah, I think it was, it was a good day. Funnel round and yeah, good good turnout. I think we had seven teams again, which is good. And mm-hmm. weather was weather was good. There had been rain forecast for the day, but it ended up with really heavy rain the day before. Um, so the
0: mm-hmm.
2: courts were a bit spongy and the bounce wasn't exactly fantastic. But considering how much rain they had, I was actually pretty surprised at how well the courts played. And yeah, the weather weather was nice on the day, so yeah, it was pretty good.
1: Yeah, Sander, so, have uh, where was the last tournament that you guys had in Belgium?
2: Ah. Oh. In Belgium. Last year, we
3: couldn't do the Belgian championship mm-hmm. because of uh, the COVID situation. And I guess we're not allowed, to, uh, maybe that's a different story, but we usually did the Belgian championship, but the EFA told us we couldn't call it the Belgian championship anymore. Okay. Because um, we also had prizes for the most consumptions <laughs> yes. and prizes for the most... <laughs> ridiculous outfit <laughs> so the I was like okay guys can you stop putting this on Facebook and calling it the Belgian championship <laughs> it's not good for us so we had an actual Belgian championship we got lucky because in September we did um, a special day for our members
1: mm-hmm.
3: with a free barbecue or a free barbie like they say it in Australia very nice and yeah. um on that day just with the members that were present we just made some teams and we did a, an unofficial belgian championship because i think the ifa does want us to have a belgian champion because mm-hmm. you never know what kind of tournaments will come up so yeah i think september that would be the last tournament okay
2: and how's how's it looking now yeah what's what's the current COVID situation in in belgium i know obviously europe well most of the northern hemisphere is um sort of currently struggling a bit with COVID. but yeah um, how are things looking at the moment for sports, it's uh, it's
3: horrible. I think we,
2: like September, we had like a,
3: a small window where everything got a little bit easier. But it was we got lucky, because then the week after, they put in more restrictions. And now in January, because we were thinking, because also the indoor competition in Germany was canceled, and we usually participate in that competition as well. And now um, in January, they announced that amateur soccer, or football, is um, canceled for the remainder of the season. And that's usually, like, if they even cancel football, then, yeah, you know, big deal. other sports are going to get canceled as well, because, you know, mm. s- football is all there is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, things are not looking great. Yep. And then, apart from that, every- everyone is also getting tired. So it's hard, because we-, we try to keep our members fit. We got some this these football challenges thing that we do every week. Okay, uh, We where- where do some exercises, but it's not the same as standing on a field and know punching a ball really hard, yes because <laughs> that's, that's why why you play football yes yeah it's been a long time and we don't know when mm. we don't know when they'll uh, be able to get back this summer we have the European championship in Italy yep it's gonna be in June, so um I think the final decision is gonna be in uh, March or April if that's gonna happen yep and even if it happens because I think it might happen but maybe without an attendance, but even if it happens, well, I don't know how we practice I mean
2: yeah. So, yeah, that's where the situation's at. Have they got, uh, uh, like, is the vaccine starting to be distributed and stuff in, in Belgium and, and other parts of Europe? I know, like, we're still waiting in Australia, but I think I've seen some other countries where they're starting to yeah. get the vaccine out that they're hoping will then start to get the ball rolling. and. Yeah,
3: in, um, in old people's homes, they already started vaccinating. And then um, soon, I think it's uh, supposed to be the second week of February, they should start... Um, with this vaccination centra where people will just roll in and get vaccines on mass right but it should be finished i think early projections are it, it gets finished in august or september right okay so we don't know what's going to happen in between like the, the amount of people dying is getting lower every day yeah but the amount of infection is getting higher so we don't know what's going to take priority right right mm. uh, so we'll see yeah
1: sounds like a lot of a lot of countries are in the same boat so the old wait
3: and see. Yeah, just waiting. Yeah. Right. That's just what it is. Yeah.
1: I mean this is I guess it floats on a little bit. We had Fistball Day on the same day as uh as the Fist of us and Clemens Cronstar and Metal Knight. Which was a good day, you know, the lot of a lot of content went out from the IFA. But there's one there's one little piece of uh information, I guess, a little a little comment that was made that we should probably address Mal. Do you wanna run us through that comment?
2: Yeah. There was a, a fairly non subtle gauntlet thrown down. I would say, by the South Africans, actually. So uh, the IFA uh, got in contact with Leif Peterson, who's uh, obviously Rolf the Godfister's brother, uh, and I think uh, Dr. Strange Glove, I think, is his uh, fistball name. Yeah, yeah, that's the name. Yeah, so it's probably... it's You, you may not know too much about it, Sander, because it was sort of before Belgium really got involved with fistball, but um, in 2015... When we went to uh, Argentina for the World Championships, uh, Rolf's brother, who lives in um, Johannesburg, I think, or Cape Town, I can't remember now, but uh, in South Africa, he sort of saw that we were going and wasn't really prepared to, to let his brother go and represent his country at World Championships without him doing it. So he started the South African Fistball Association and, uh, and they came over as well. And we had a great rivalry going with them and managed to beat them three times. I think it was three zip.
1: Three-zip didn't take a set off us. Easy.
2: And uh, anyway, it's, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, Fistball in South Africa is kind of petered out a bit over the last few years. They're not, not too active at the moment. I think there's a lot, lot of other things happening. But uh, but it didn't stop him from making a bit of a swipe at us and sort of throwing down a challenge <laughs> to Australia <laughs> so that he wants to sort of meet us on the field. And it's like, well, okay, we'll start playing fistball again and we'll, we'll do something about <laughs> it. But, uh, but, yeah, I think he was a bit annoyed that we have been taking a bit of a chip at them, that they had this documentary that they released about the rise of South African fistball. Oh, yeah. But, it's, yeah, saw that. but they yeah. basically stole the story from us. Of our rise and just kind of made it about them, which <laughs> <laughs> it was quite funny because, like, even their actual their logo of the fistball association as is the Australian, the original Australian fistball logo. <laughs> they just changed the names <laughs> on it and stuff like it's But uh, yeah, so. We were accepting their, their, their challenge, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll come out of retirement for that challenge if the, if I'm required. Uh, nothing I'd
1: like more than to, to
2: beat the South Africans again. Yeah. The the only country that's <laughs> never won a world championship match, I believe. Oh. Uh, it, the, damn. Because the Japanese got, got, got choked up their first win against uh, the Netherlands in Switzerland, and the Netherlands beat us. Oh, in, maybe two, yeah. Won. Yeah, so... I think South Africa's the only team, yes. or let, except for you know, maybe like Canada way back in the day or <laughs> yeah. one of those other countries that, that popped in. There's a, there's a few random places over the years that have just turned up like one world championship. And yeah, yeah. like Chinese Taipei or somewhere just turned up randomly in the 80s and the 90s or something and played a championship and then
1: yeah. never
2: to be heard from again.
1: <laughs> Did Uruguay play one?
2: Yeah, Uruguay played a couple, I think, yeah, in the in the 80s or something, I, I think. But um.
1: But no, I mean, yeah, if, if uh, life can get that young group of players back up and running we'll certainly take them on no problem whatsoever just got to just got to get them up and running
2: <laughs> yeah now it'd be it'd be really really great if, we, if the south africans could get going again i know um they did have a team of younger guys the archbishops of Banterbury, i think that they were called um
1: yep that's the one
2: <laughs> that that were going quite well and i was talking to roger Willen a, a few months ago and he was sort of going to trying to reach out to those guys and see if he could kind of try and help them to kind of get things going again cuz um yeah. they were certainly while they weren't around for a long time they they definitely made a splash on the on the world scene you know came to a world championships they hosted that the world the world cup world cup yeah so it'd be nice to to get them back again And mm. it's pretty, as much as anything just to have that second legitimate african nation playing cuz it's got kind of namibia down there all by themselves really and yeah agreed
1: and i guess the only other <laughs> the only other piece of news I guess it's just there's been some weird anomalies with our podcast now. I don't know what's going on, but in the last two weeks, we've had 63 listens to the Richard Williams podcast, podcast number four. That can't be all you, Sander. There's there's something going on. (laughs) And as well as that, I would like to do a shout out to everyone. Can someone please just listen to the first Corey Darn podcast because... It's been stuck on 99 listens for three months, and it's just <laughs> killing me. <laughs> Someone, anyone, please, just go give it a listen. It's actually a very good episode, so go have a listen.
3: What episode is that?
1: Uh, episode five, part one.
3: Ah. Then maybe today you'll get your 100th listen. Yeah,
2: I've been tempted to do it myself, but I was like, no, I can't cheat. I've got to got to let someone legitimately listen to it. And yeah, it, you're right. It's it's just tick it over 100, and then it, that's, that's that'll be fine. But <laughs> but yeah, the Richard one is is very interesting. Like it, it is, it was always one of our more listened to podcasts, and it is. It's it's very funny. It's probably. Right up there. If if it's not our funniest one, it's it's very close to. Richard is hilarious, and some of his stories are, are fantastic. But then, yeah, all of a sudden, it's, it's just gone crazy in this last week. So, mm. so I'd yeah shout out to all the people listening to Richard's podcast, and also I'd, I'd give a little cheeky shout out to to Nick Trinemeyer. The challenge is is on. It's, they're coming for you. Yeah. So he's he's been <laughs> now you know comfortably leading the most most listened to podcast. So. Nick, if you're listening, get your friends out to get yours moving again because yeah. you know, the Welsh are coming for you. <laughs>
1: the last last thing they expected was the Welsh coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fist. Fist. Boy. All right. Let's uh, Let's let's move into the interview portion, Sander. Yeah. I suppose the obvious question here is What's your history in the sport and how did Belgian fistball start in the first place? Oh,
3: well, that's an interesting story. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting the question, but uh, well, I bet. came prepared.
1: <laughs> Left field. <laughs> so,
3: our o- original uh, fist sitter, Bert, he was on um on a world trip to Asia and, and um, well, the eastern hemisphere, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> Great. And he
3: also stopped by in in Australia. And then in Australia I met this um, this girl, René, René Saitre, who is a football player for Jona.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, I suppose everyone is familiar with Yona and uh, Roger Willem. Mm-hmm. So when, when Bert came back from his trip oh. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> telephone. So when Bert... <laughs> sound effects and everything. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Bert came back from his trip, um, he was like, Okay guys, I got I, I got this sport that we have to play. And we're like, okay, Bert, sure, we'll we'll play it. Because he's the guy that always comes back with these kind of insane ideas. And then we do it for like a month or two. And then we're like, okay, it's enough.
1: Yeah.
3: (laughs) You're welcome, Bert. (laughs) But now concentrate on the important things. Anyway, so (laughs) Fizzball, he came back with Fizzball. And we were all on board, like always. When Bert comes with an idea, we try it. Mm -hmm. Because we're good buddies. But this time it was, you know, we played it and it was fun. Mm-hmm. And then um I think he came back in like April and then in August he had the uh, Obersee masters mm-hmm. so we were like, okay let's just go to Yona Obersee masters and check out what football really is yep. and i i I remember we went with just three guys and then at Obersee masters we met René, and then everything clicked like why Bert <laughs> 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 wanted us to play fi- wanted us <laughs> to play football <baseball? laughs> So we were just with three guys, but it was it was so much fun. I didn't even have, like, shoes. I just played with my uh, blue All-Stars. But it was so much fun because we were like, okay, we're only three people. Can you help us get a team? And then we played the tournament with some locals from Yona. And one of our players, who is like an honorary play. player now, is Rahel Hess. Oh, okay. You might know her. Oh, yeah, Rahel. She might have been the best player at a female European Championship uh, last year. She was amazing. So yeah, she played for us then. And then we met Roger in the football community and uh, how warm it is and how great it is. And then uh, it just kind of sticked. The story between Bert and René is, is for another time. <laughs> it's uh, almost Shakespearean, but, um... <laughs> but the sports, yeah, the sports, ticked. And then we looked stuff up, and we also saw your your guys. Um, you guys made a video to promote uh, Australian football, and to I maybe fundraiser to go to one the championship. Yeah, I don't remember, but we thought like, oh, that video is just amazing. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, That's the story of Belgian football. Yeah, wow. starts with a girl, <laughs> yeah, it's like a girl. Yeah, yeah,
2: like everything. So it starts boy meets girl, you know. That's yeah, uh, boy meets girl, and then you meet Roger, and then yeah, you know,
3: you play football.
1: <laughs> <laughs> an age old tale, that one, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember um getting an email from I, I just say Bert because it's easier to say than the way that you said it, but yeah, I remember getting an email from him early on. I don't know if Renee had. Had reached out to us and said that maybe Bert might try to get in contact with us, and yeah, I got the email just saying, "Hey, how do you guys run your fistball? Yeah. in Australia, any tips?" So I sent him this unnecessarily detailed response with you know score sheets and our membership structure and all our teams <laughs> and how we go about playing, and uh, I think he just saw the email and just went. Okay, let's just do it our way <laughs> because never heard back from him. And then I was obviously fo- following you guys on, on Facebook and you guys, you got pretty quickly into the, um, into the little tournaments. They looked a lot like um, the South African tournaments, to be honest, early on. Like a lot of, obviously, people that had never played before randomly coming together and just kind of having a bit of a showy tournament. But you guys had like medals and everything. It was pretty impressive. It's more than what we have for our tournaments. That was, um,
3: yeah, those were the Belgian championships. Like, it was only once a year. Right. So, um, yeah, so it's just for everyone, and then you explain the sport, and it's an easy sport to pick up, right? Yeah. Like, if you pitch two bad teams against each other, they will still have an awesome match, because it's mm. not that easy to hit mistakes yeah like when the other team doesn't smash like maybe what we'll see um like what we saw in our world cup match like when no one hits the winners yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes. you, have, you have a long and amazing match and everybody loves it <laughs>
1: yeah and plus the worst that you are as long as both teams are on an equal level there's a better chance that you're going to get to hit the ball yeah during a rally you know like when you have two awesome teams playing each other yeah a lot of the time it's just the striker, half of the points are just aces, you know, or, or hits that you can't get back. Whereas at least with a slow-moving <laughs> beginner game, everyone gets a hit, everyone gets a shot, everyone gets to get involved and, and grow to love the game.
3: Yeah. yeah, but apart from the like the, the Belgian tournament is only once a year because we're having trouble like um, like getting a Belgian competition going, as in like a
1: regular. Yeah, new
3: sport is it's hard to launch because like in the beginning years we were just focused on international because it was our group of friends. Yep. So I went to Jona. I went to all the other tournaments, and that was a lot of fun. But it's difficult to to go to like a, a guy we don't know and like, oh, you want to play football with us? Sure. Like this Sunday, we'll drive four hours to Germany, lose five <laughs> matches against sixty-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll drive back. <laughs> Do you want to join us? <laughs>
2: Yeah,
3: but after Corona, Belgian Belgian competition will definitely be uh,
2: the focus. The story of Belgian fistball is such a—it's so funny how it, like that. Yeah, you literally sort of just across the border from Germany, and one of the parts of Germany that is actually plays quite a lot of fistball. Like yeah, so it's, it's so close there. It was just this weird series of events of yeah, Bert happened to be traveling through australia it was in it was actually it was in cairns like in yeah north queensland and i actually met renee very briefly in melbourne she reached out and was like oh i'm in melbourne like but i'm leaving this afternoon i'd like to meet someone so i like traveled and met her at the bus stop for about an hour and a half before she left melbourne like we had a quick chat and then i was just asking her what her plans were and she said i said i'm traveling up the east coast and going here and then i'm gonna go to cairns and i said oh yeah well one of our guys at was our coach last year at the World Championships. He's living in Cairns now. I'll put you in contact with him, you know, when you get up there, you know, touch base with him. And then sort of through that, I think she was, yeah, staying at Laurie's house and then met Bert. And yeah, this, just this story of the sort of fistball family and how everyone kind of gets together. And somehow, yeah, now Belgium has fistball because of a yeah a guy met a Swiss, Swiss backpacker in Australia and now Belgian fistball exists when you've been right beside Germany for hundreds (laughs) of years and and it's never made it across the border. And it's like, how does that happen?
3: Oh, yeah. It's like if you meet a German guy... In Belgium, and like, oh, you're from Germany, so yeah, we also play fistball. And then the guys like, "What's fistball?" Yeah, <laughs> <I know. laughs> The German guy doesn't
2: even know what football is. So it's like, okay, yeah. yeah, sure. That's yeah. I remember that we were like that when we first started playing too. Like every German person you'd meet, you'd be like, "Oh, I play fistball," and then none of them know what it is. Yeah. And you're like, "But it's a German sport." Like you realize it's like, well, they've got about I don't know, however many thousand players in Germany, but it's like, but in a country of 80 million, a few thousand isn't many, you know? Yeah. It's a very small portion of mm. the population in Germany that plays it. Yeah, it's very regional, um, but I think it's getting better. But I remember like, um,
3: Bert, like when he does something, he does something, um, like he goes 120%. Mm-hmm. Like, when we started Fizzball, he, he started emailing like every German club, uh, right across the border. Yeah. And then one club, like a shout out to Jochen, Jochen Janssen, he was like, oh yeah, come over guys. So he went over and there was like this little sign that says "Welcome, Team Belgium." <laughs> yeah, nice. We never played football. We never even touched the ball. <laughs> and then we played with them for a few hours, and uh, yeah, uh, it was amazing. And then they gave us some balls and they gave us um, the poles and the net. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's uh, that's football. That's like what it is. Yeah, yeah. That's how the people are.
2: But yeah, you're, you're right, it, it is it is really hard to to, to start a new sport when everything's already established and you're competing against other sports and whatever. And, but yeah, I guess hopefully for you guys, yeah. And we had the same sort of thing. Like we started here, it was sort of our small group of people who were very much kind of focused on that playing for Australia kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, like kind of once you tick that box, you are like, yeah, I've done that. And then it's like, well, hang on, this is actually an amazing sport. I don't want this to story to just be the story about of how 10 or 12 of us guys went and played for Australia once. And then that, there was no more fistball. Like you've got to, you kind of, once you get into it and you love the game, you kind of feel obliged to... You've got to kind of try and keep it going and, and build it and, and make it last. And So, yeah, we're, we're pretty much the same as you guys. We're just a few years ahead, pretty much. So It's exactly the same story, yeah. Like, it's fun. And now, I think last year, when we
3: um, voted for the new boards, it's like, okay, what's going to be our focus? And it's like, okay, we're still going to play international. And it's going to be us, friends. It's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. But the focus should be, like, domestic competition because... Now it's always like people play football and it's like a Belgian championship year that's like 16 teams, mm-hmm. wow. which is a lot. Wow. Mm. And then they, they come to us and like, oh, it was great fun today. What's next? And they like, oh yeah, next. um Yeah, if, if you want this summer, you can twice with us to Austria. <laughs> Stay for a week yep. in a tent with a bunch of strangers <laughs> and have a good time. That's... Uh, so yeah, I
1: mean, you could try the Australian model, which is the concept of the semi-regular league of sorts. I mean, yeah. the hardest thing we had is that we didn't want to have a a weekly thing straight off the bat because we just won't. I mean, we'll get maybe a couple of super serious people, but otherwise, most people won't want to give it a go because um, it's just too much commitment. Yeah. Whereas if you've got one every, I mean, we started with one every two three months, and then it became once every two months and then once every, basically once every month. And now we have it occasionally once every three weeks, yeah. you know, and then we have just a break, over winter now, but, and that helps, I think particularly because, you know, people have other plans, people want to do other things. People might be playing other sports, but that maybe that's the way for the, so that it's not just one big tournament every year, you know, it kind of gets people coming back before they get bored and, and start looking elsewhere.
3: Yeah. So the idea we had was um, like every month we do one day, like the entire afternoon, mm-hmm. And it's mandatory for people who want to play nationals, like like international matches. So we know we have a turnout. Yep. Yep. And then on that day, we'll also play competition with everyone who's there. Like just put them in teams, play competition. That would have been the idea if Corona didn't happen. Um, and it's also easier because for new players, it's always like, oh, we have a training every week. Because we do, we still have training every week. But sometimes there's four people, sometimes there's six. But if you can say to a new guy, like, oh, just don't come to the weekly training, but just come that Sunday, there's going to be 20 people and you're going to play games. Yeah. Like that's, that's how you get people into football. Yeah. You have to have them play matches because that's the fun part of the yeah. of the sport. Yeah. So that's what we're planning as soon as we're, uh, as, as we're allowed to. Yeah. You got
1: to, you got to get them hooked on playing. Yeah. And then, so they, then they love it, but they want to get better and then they're going to get, you know, into training. But yeah, you first, you got to get them hooked.
2: Yeah, and one of the great things that things that you've got that you can offer to people in Belgium is that every year there is the opportunity to go and play in these amazing events like yeah. like Yona and Vidnau and, and Berlin the Wedding Cup and stuff like that. Like I know you're not exactly close, but it's it's very doable. You know, if you want to go and play in these tournaments, it's not that hard. Whereas like for us, we see them and it's like, oh god, I want to go to that every year, but you know, logistics of traveling to Europe once a year it's just it's not possible sort of thing so you know if you can get if you can get those people that are sort of interested there's so many fantastic opportunities that you have kind of in Europe that most other countries you know a lot of other newer countries like us just we just don't we don't have access to those big tournaments and yeah and the fact that you've got like the German guys that are reaching out to you like you know yeah come and play in our tournaments or kind of like you're really lucky in a lot of ways but at the same time yeah you've still it's just you've still got a you got to walk before you can run. Yeah, you know, you've still got to kind of slowly build that player base, and then and then try and work up from there. But yeah, it's true. Like once
3: someone is hooked, uh, you take him to Yona, and then they're hooked for life. Yeah, yeah. Because Yona is like, fisball Valhalla. It's like the the most amazing venue, I think Fizzball has to offer. It's you. You guys been to Yona, right? When you played World Championships or no, Malcolm has didn't go. i
2: I I went. Oh, I went over. Last yeah yeah 2019 I went I went over before the world champs and Laurie, uh, the, the guy in Cairns that met Renee he, he went over in 2005, 2014 I think it was mm-hmm. and was yeah it's lucky enough to go but I think we're the only two at this stage who've oh. been and yeah like it's 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 so amazing yeah when I think back of how of my trip in 2019. Like, as awesome as the World Championships was, like, if I was going to go back for one of them, like, if I had to go do the trip again and go, oh, I can only do one of those two things, I'd nearly pick Yona, just because it's... It's bigger than the World Championships. Yeah.
3: Like, more more players.
2: Yeah, more players. And, yeah, like, you've actually got all the top women's and men's players... Are all there in the same tournament, and uh, yeah, and there's like these people, like, yeah, just set up tents, they're just camping around, and then like I ended up staying in the um, in the fallout bunker. I don't know if you've if you guys have ever stayed in there. No,
3: you always stay in tents, yeah.
2: In Switzerland, they all have these um, those fallout bunkers from the like the Cold War, where it's like, yeah, you're going to stay in this concrete underground bunker with all these beds and kitchen and stuff, and I stayed in there with the Brazilians and the Argentinians, and sort of this like just partying in this. Cold War fallout shelters. like, when, when do you ever get another chance to do that sort of thing? It's, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Like, yeah. Like, did, did you play
3: on, um, you want Because like, we always play in like, uh, the C category, which is like the lowest. As Team Belgium, like this year, I asked our coach to not sign us up anymore as Team Belgium, but like, as our domestic team name. Because we play as Team Belgium and they, <laughs> we play against these 10-year-old kids <laughs> in, the C, in the C League. And then they, they beat us. <laughs> like, okay. But we're going to go to the
2: World Championships. <laughs>
1: it's very humbling.
2: <laughs> Did you play in Yona in 2019? Because I played against Team Belgium oh, yeah. in 2019 before the World Championships. I can't remember if you were there or not. I know I Bert was definitely there. Oh, no, I wasn't. I
3: wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah,
2: so I played with um, a club called CFFN, which is like Friends of Swiss Fistball, which is basically a team of like, probably 50 and 60 year old German Swiss guys. And I was probably 30 years younger than everyone on the team. And I was the worst player by a mile. It was embarrassing. Like, yeah, it was bad. And then, yeah. And then you find out the end, like who, who are these guys? And like, some of them are like, these just legends of fistball from the, from the eighties and stuff. And it's like, Oh, okay. You're right. But yeah, so I because I played against against Belgium and that's where I first met Bert was was in Yona. But yeah, you might there
3: in um, in our competition we play indoor in um, in Germany and there's this team called Bayern Leverkusen, which is also a good soccer team, but it's this fistball team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the average age is like sixty-three, and then they have this guy, like they dive, they dive, and they beat us always badly. Yeah. And then this other team has this one guy, like this old guy, he doesn't move. So we're like, oh, we got this, just hit the ball next to that guy. Because he's not, he doesn't, he never moves. (laughs) Because he's just too old, too old to move. And then we start doing that and this guy just, every time the ball comes, he just reaches out with his arm, hits the ball perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And the other guy smashes and we lose. It's like, okay,
2: like... Yeah
3: playing against Germans it's just, it's a different thing like uh they were born with the sport
2: yeah like so i i remember the game that we played against Belgium in the owner tournament and we won quite comfortably and i remember <laughs> when we get, got to Switzerland and the guys like, oh, you know, what's the jet, what's the Belgian team like? And I was like, nah, they're not very good, guys. We got these guys covered. Don't worry about it. We smashed them in Yona, and then and then we lost twice. And I was like, how do we lose? Like, it was like, oh. I was playing with a bunch of sixty-year-olds. Like, oh yeah, there's are 60 sixty-year-olds who are actually really good at <laughs> yeah. football. and we're just a bunch of duds. <laughs> uh, if only I had I had a team of seventy-year-old Germans playing with me in Switzerland, we definitely would <laughs> have won some games.
1: always had the age, just not the nationality. You
0: know?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, so what are your highlights so far then what year did you start playing 2016
3: yeah the same year as Bert uh, yeah it must be 16 I think um, like winter tour obviously mm-hmm. because I think winter tour is the most it's like winter tour was EVA showing that they could do an international tournament and that's not like at every tournament the EVA organizes is well done but it's not international mm. like the World Cup women's, it was like, you know, the mayor comes on and then the president comes on and they just talk German, like, I understand because there's only German teams, but then for the other teams, it's kind of like, okay, uh, why is everything in German? Like also, all meetings are in German, but then winter tour, um, that was, that was mostly, I think it was mostly in English and the meetings were in English and they were really trying to show uh, that football can grow into this international spectacle. Mm-hmm. So winter tour was awesome. Also a lot of teams. Yeah. But I think my 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 highlights are like um, in the earlier days. Like I remember when we went to Ademansfeld, which was the European Championship. Yeah. Uh, we uh, it's in Germany. It's a it, I think it's the club of Alwin, um, or it's close to where Alwin is, right? So a beautiful venue, and um, we went there, and that was back in the days where we just. I slept the entire tournament in my car, <laughs> <laughs> and then the other guy slept in tents. So after the match, we went. I don't know if if Ahmed is allowed to you know hear this. I don't know if he listens to this. I, I bet he listens to the podcast. But yeah, we went to the party tent after every day, and then <laughs> went to the tent, slept, and I woke up, <coughs> suited up, <laughs> <and> played football. <laughs> wow! But yeah, there was um, those like the beginnings. It's just full of memories and anecdotes. And then mm-hmm. now you try to, like, now it's always, now we're never going to stay in the tent anymore because we have to be better. Uh, we have to show that we mean it. Yeah. But back in the days, those were the good days. Mm-hmm. And then we were, like, we have this fan club uh, from Germany, um, from SV Erichshagen. And, um, They're
1: the guys of the world champs.
3: Yeah. Shout out to Marco Zoll and Petra Zoll and uh, the rest of the bunch. So the reason they became our fan club was because they were sleeping in tents next to ours and then we were playing against Holland and there was this crazy shot, we went way back line and I hit it and it went all the way to the back end of the Holland side, it was this crazy point and these guys saw it because they woke up for our match, I don't know why (laughs) and then after the match they were like, oh wow that was an amazing shot you're going to get a great of beer from us. Wow. So after the match, we went back to the tents. There was this beer propped up against our tents.
1: <laughs> wow, true to their word.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great guys. Uh, great fan club. Because they, they follow us and they always have the flags and the songs um, about our players. Yeah. Uh, I
1: mean, we'll talk about it when we get to the match review, but that was pretty impressive when we were playing to have that the incredibly loud Belgian supporters were like, where did these guys come from? <laughs> Where's the Australian version? <laughs> we just had Elmar at the top of the stands holding up an Aussie flag, but it couldn't get anyone else going. And we
2: had Bryce's mum. Bryce's mum was down the front there, <laughs> waving, waving a flag too. <laughs> but, true, true, Yeah, the the Australian cheer squad was a bit thin, admittedly, unfortunately. <laughs> we'll get there.
1: We need a fan club, apparently.
2: Uh, like, we didn't have a lot of people
3: from Belgium over, though. It was just the German team that uh, our fan club... Because, yeah. like, Holland, they had this entire squad. Like, they brought their entire families and friends and nephews and nieces. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we just, like, like the the SV Erikshagen. They've been with us since the uh, European Championship. And, uh, yeah, it's great. That's brilliant. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Speaking of Holland, do you guys have a reasonably close relationship with them? Just because you're on a similar-ish trajectory and i guess skill level to some degree
3: yeah we try to they were going to join our belgian championship uh, last year nice. but uh COVID, mm-hmm. right yeah but we try to keep in touch because you know at the world championship they were really bummed out after they got beat by japan yeah uh like really bummed out because mm-hmm. uh, they were proud yeah but then at the end they were like oh man we got to do better and this is a fun sport and we're going to continue
0: yeah
3: so we've been keeping in touch and actually sent uh, like the striker um Maren, I sent him a message like last week to ask about a match and then maybe like initiate contact again. Yeah. Because Bert was very onto. Um, okay, because like we're in Belgium mm. and we're next to Austria, Switzerland, Germany, Italy. Like all these teams, you can never beat. Yes. Ever. Yes. So we need to ally with Holland and Denmark. Yeah, definitely. And try to organize organize tournaments and competitions between those three countries. To get better, yeah, yeah, Um, because yeah, every time we go to Germany, even if it's against six year olds, we get (laughs) crushed, (laughs) yeah, but that's reality, yeah. You you
1: guys just started at the perfect time because the history of Fistball in Europe, as you know, was just pure German association for the longest period, but you guys started just at the same time the Dutch started and Danes decided to get back into it, and yeah, I feel like there's a couple of other teams, but just to have some more poland i guess um to have some kind of poland Serbia, yeah some similar level teams that you can play against because yeah i mean you can get people interested in the sport but then you go and they yeah like you say they go and they just get destroyed by german teams which you know the first time is a bit of fun and it's very impressive and entertaining but if it's if that's the only future you had of (laughs) what's getting pounded by these teams eventually guys will get disinterested right
2: yeah German's also not known for their tendency to take it easy on you and, and let you win a game every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're pretty good at, at just like, no, we're better than you and we're going to show you how much better than you we are. Yep. You know? but, but after after they, they show a lot of love, yeah. but they're like, oh, we crushed you, so here's some love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yeah. no love on the field. There's plenty of love after the game, but not, not so much. <laughs> yeah, that's what they do, yeah. No, but you're right, though. It's, yeah. Uh, that's probably one of the best things you've got. In your favor, there in in Belgium is yeah the the Danes you know in the in your same sort of north northern European region and and the Dutch just across the across the border sort of thing is that you can try and get some sort of semi regular international you know it doesn't necessarily need to be a, an IFA sanctioned event just get something happening like I know we were exactly the same here in Australia like we when we started we're like well there's there's no one else in our region like the closest place we had was you know, Pakistan and India, which, you know, they're not even that close. Yeah. You're talking a ten, or, 10 hour flight to get to the closest team that's playing. So when the Kiwis started playing for us, the New Zealanders, it's like, okay, now we actually have a chance to play some sort of semi-regular international fistball, yeah. you know, and even though we've still got a, it's still for us, it's still a four hour flight to get to New Zealand and it, it's not exactly cheap and easy, but. It can be done. Yeah, you can do it once a year if you need to, or whatever. So yeah, I think for you guys, the, the beauty of living in a tiny continent with lots of countries in it, like Europe, that's about what is it half the size of Australia or something like that. I don't know. That's, <laughs> no, it is. Like you, you do have you do have chances to play against other international countries, mm. and it's not that difficult to do it. Like yeah. yeah, there's there's some logistics, but you can drive there kind of thing if you if you want to. Um, it's and, and yeah, and countries that are in the similar boat to you that are trying to grow it, and I think that's the best way. For for you guys to grow. And the um, the Netherlands is to, you know, you've, you've got to push each other up yeah. like we're trying to do with, with New Zealand. It's it's definitely the best way. Because, yeah, you, you don't take that much out of games against Germany where they just destroy you. Yeah, so it's, it's almost disheartening, if anything. But if you play against someone that's sort of at your level, you can take a lot more from it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, if you drive to to the Netherlands, it's like for you guys to drive to your neighbor, right? Yeah. <laughs> or almost the same. It's like a one-hour drive only. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Just get some milk.
3: I, I was thinking about, like, you said, like, oh, these IFA-sanctioned um, friendlies. So we we did a friendly with the Dutch mm. a few years back, but it was just between us. Right, They invited us to their playing hall because they all played this uh, sport handball, no, corner ball, okay. ball, I think, yeah. uh, which is uh, like a Dutch sport. Yeah. Anyway, so they invited us to their hall, and then Jochen, who is their coach, heard about it, and he said, like, oh, I'll, I'll just inform the IFA that uh, this is going to happen. <laughs> and, then, and then the IFA was, like, calling to Jochen, like, Jochen, it's a friendly, you have to have referees. We need to be there. There needs to be someone keeping score. <laughs> so one day the IFA just sent like five people over to the, <laughs> to, the to the hall to make it official. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they were I think they were very excited that there was gonna be a friendly between yeah. Holland and Belgium. So excited that they wanted to it to count. Yeah, you know, in their uh okay,
2: yeah, I guess I hadn't I hadn't accounted for the fact that Ifa doesn't have anyone close enough to actually do that for us, so like it's like even if they wanted to, they can't send out a referee for Australia versus New Zealand if we decide to play a game. Whereas for you guys, they can and they will. <laughs> but again, you're you're also but you also have access to, to coaches and stuff. You know, like um, his name escapes me. But your coach at the World Championships is you know he's a legendary German coach and yeah, I would. And I mean, we were we were lucky enough to have Tommy Helbert come over and and help us, but that was yeah. That that was took a lot of effort, and you know we were so lucky that he was prepared to do that. Whereas, yeah. I guess in Europe, it's it's not so much of an effort to to be able to get some some of the Germans or Austrian or Swiss guys to to spend some time to come and help you out and, and that kind of thing. So yeah,
3: Ahmed, just I, I don't know how he came to be our coach. <laughs> I he was just there one day, literally no idea. <laughs> yeah, it was just like oh, our coach is Ahmed Maus, and that was that's the story <laughs> <laughs> of how became our coach yeah. but I, I think it happened like the ifa was like oh we got these two countries who wants to be coaching them yeah. and that's how holland got jochen and we got Ahmud. yeah i think it happened like that but like the ifa decided yeah <laughs> to help out with finding coach so yeah he was our coach yeah. he's been our coach since the start up until now wow that's great amazing guy yeah
1: yeah one other thing about Sort of semi-touched on, but one other thing you guys have got in your favour is that there's still a long way to go as far as there's other countries there. I mean, if we keep talking about them, eventually England's going to start up a team. Maybe the Welsh will start up a team after listening to the podcast so many times. The Portuguese are going to have a team at the Women's World Champs. Yeah. Spanish have had a team at the European Champs. So maybe, you never know, you could end up having almost 8-10 teams at a similar-ish level in the next five years, which you guys can play against, which is pretty
3: awesome yeah that's uh yeah that's definitely uh, something um we got in favor of us Mm. compared to um you guys where where (laughs) everything is quite a distance because you were like I listened to your podcast you're like oh this trip to Pakistan it was so amazing Mm. I was like wow (laughs) those guys went to Pakistan (laughs) it's insane (laughs) to play play so (laughs) football
1: a fun fact about that trip as well I don't think we have actually said on the podcast but when we went as the Australian national team we were the first Australian national team apparently to go to Pakistan since 1996, I think that's right, Malcolm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, was, like every any, any, any sport, any sport, an Australian national team. We were the first ones to go. So, oh wow, that was what the uh, the reporters were peppering us with when we got into the airport. So, like, how's it feel to be the first Australian team here since uh, oh, what? Taylor, no. Who was the uh, captain?
0: Of
2: yeah, it was, it, was Mark, it was Mark Taylor was the captain of the Australian cricket team. And I don't know if you know what cricket is in Belgium. It's not one of <laughs> Belgium's key sports. But but anyway, the Australian cricket team toured Pakistan in 1996. And then there was... Was that when there was that um, terrorist attack on the, on the bus? I think so. Oh. The Australian cricket team was in Pakistan and their tour bus got attacked by a, oh. a gang of rebels or something. And, and basically, the Australian Sports Foundation or or whatever they're called, basically said no Australian teams are allowed to travel to Pakistan from that date. And they just basically put a black ban on any Australian teams traveling to Pakistan. But... Because we don't have enough members <laughs> and players, they won't. Yeah. They won't. Rec- we're still not recognised as an official Australian sports team.
3: Okay, gotcha.
2: By the Australian Sports Commission, even though we play in world championships, that we don't have enough members to to be recognised. We're not allowed to wear the official Australian coat of arms. We've got our own one with a fistball instead of you know, a. Yeah. there's all these silly rules, but <laughs> yeah. but basically, because they won't recognise us, we sort of can do what we want, and so. Yeah, so we travelled to Pakistan, even though Australian sporting teams aren't allowed to go there because they won't recognise us as an official team. So <laughs> that's
3: yeah, yeah, that's insane.
1: Yeah, thereby making history.
2: I did hear there's one story from that trip. I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast yet that I, I'm pretty sure Ralph talked about us. You did mention one time that the I think it was the president or one of the high up guys in the Pakistani fistball association was also part of the police force, and so was basically organising police escorts for you wherever he you went. Mm-hmm. Didn't you also get After like dinner one night, you went over to some like mosque or like some famous building that basically no non-Muslim people have been in in hundreds of years. The only white non-Muslim people that have been allowed in that building in a long, long time, from what from what I heard. Gosh,
1: I don't know. Maybe maybe that's the uh, statistic. I'm not totally sure, but yeah, we got a got a little tour of it. I think it's the third biggest mosque in Pakistan. It was huge and just beautiful, ornate. Um, and a giant open, what do you call it? Just a giant open area for people to come in and pray and everything. And just very, yeah, it's like, and it was surreal. It was at nighttime and we're just walking through it. Just like a couple of lights that are like lighting up the, you know, these beautiful buildings and everything. It was, yeah. I mean, that's what you get when you when you hit the first team to go to Pakistan.
3: since no nice 996.
2: International sports stars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that
3: like a, like a moment that you, you were thinking, um, this is, like oh we're Australian superstars because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one of the memories like when you start a new sport I, for us there's always this one moment that you're looking to the guy next to you <laughs> you think like what the fuck did we get ourselves into <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. what are we doing here <laughs> representing our country that is this is amazing this is insane yeah
1: so well, for me there's been two moments like that and the first one was yes in pakistan i mean it was sort of at the airport but it was also at the opening ceremony which was just like an absolute trip because that at that point we were like you know walking out with our flag with our with our blazers on and people like girls just like screaming when the australian team was called out we just didn't understand what was going on it was amazing and then the second time was actually in argentina at the world champs when we are playing against namibia and the crowd, which was actually pretty big, because I think there's only two games that day because the previous day had been washed out. And um, so we had a really big crowd watching us get absolutely pummeled by Namibia. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And they started chanting... Australia Australia like for the last I don't know a couple of points of the game and and we ended up showboating a little bit for them but it was just like this idea of this that definitely the biggest crowd we played in front of at that point and they, they were just cheering our name and everything it was just yeah that was just like a wow type moment it's like what have we got ourselves into yeah
2: the best moment I've that I can recall from my time was and you'll remember this, Milne it was. It was in Argentina. I think it was a bit. It was about midway through the tournament. Say it was like on the Wednesday night or something. They had a, They had a big dinner thing in the in the big food hall where every all the dinners were every night. And it was sort of a bit of a presentation night. I can't remember what, what exactly it was, but but all the teams there we were supposed to sort of turn up in, in your team clothing and gear. And for Australians, like, I think it's a Commonwealth thing that's from England that's come over us. Like, so with cricket teams and rugby teams and stuff, like, when, when you play for your country and you travel internationally, you, you have, like, a formal attire, formal clothes that you wear. And it's, like, a, it's a blazer that's, you know, in your team colors with your with your team crest and everything. And, and you, you know, you wear a shirt and, and a tie and pants and everything. It's very... Because I think in the Commonwealth thing, it's like when those teams travel to England, they, you meet the Queen. You know, and it's a big deal. So it's like you have to be, you have to look the part. <laughs> yeah. And so for us, part the big part of this whole trip was well, we have to have our formal attire. You know, we have to be ready, prepared for when we do this. And so, so this was our one big night. And so we're our team. We've all turned up to this full dinner of all the teams of the World Championships. Everyone was there, and we've we sort of rolled in fashionably late, but wearing our our, our blazers and our shirts and pants and ties and everything. And and all the other teams are just there in their tracksuits, <laughs> t-shirts, singlets, whatever. And we've walked in. And the band stopped playing, just everything, everything stopped as this team of Australians walked in 15 minutes late and everyone stood up and it was, and we had a standing ovation as we walked into dinner on this Wednesday night. And then we spent the whole night taking photos with people. Just everyone wanted photos with us. Like, you know, it was like, we got the Germans, the, like the national, the best football team in the world. Yeah they wanted photos with us because we looked like idiots in our blazers and it was so hot in there we were sweating we were sweating profusely in South American summer it was so hot I remember yeah up on the stage and there's these bright lights beating on it just so hot like god I want to take this stuff off but the only reason we're here is because we've got our blazers on over and and that was the kind of moment for me where it was like wow like we're kind of yeah. we're kind of a big deal but totally not <laughs> a big deal at all and um yeah that was really cool
1: Oh, that's awesome, yeah. I just remember that because I remember like hobbling through that because uh, I'd been given one hell of a corky, I believe earlier that day, by Mr. Laurie Young, <laughs> and I was in agonizing pain. So <laughs> that's my memory from that. But I do remember the standing ovation. Uh, that was ridiculous. I assumed it was for someone else, but it was for us, so.
3: Yeah, and those, those moments are also the moments, for me at least, I think the uh, first time was like when you read the national anthem mm. and there's like this camera in your face and there's people watching people who know fizzball and love fizzball and they're watching yeah. belgium <laughs> play against holland yeah traditional
2: <laughs> rivals they must be thinking like oh
3: we would crush these guys but we're watching them and we're applauding and we're enjoying this this, this match yeah and that's also a moment yeah. when you think like okay next year we have to practice harder and show how much we're into fizzball and how much we love it to give back to mm. the community I think that's like uh, the realization I got after that like oh they think they think we are a big deal so we have to give it back you know but yeah yeah it's a beautiful beautiful sport
2: Yes, that's it. Like some some people think of Belgium versus Holland, and they think of De Bruyne <laughs> and you know Van der Sar, you know the, these famous names, and we're yeah. like, no, 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 we're talking Sander Cohen versus Nikki Spengel's, you know, like <laughs> the big names of Belgium versus Netherlands. <laughs> Shout out to Nikki. Shout out to Nikki. <laughs> great game. <guy>, great game.
1: <laughs> fist. Fist. fist, Boy! fist. All right, we should uh <laughs> we should move on to listen questions um <laughs> we you know we everyone's keen to to ask you a question uh, annoyingly I have a question here sand but it feels like you've already answered it but i'm gonna ask it anyway it's a it's a two part question it's from a um a bought Bort-stealing. Um, Bort-stealing. Uh, he says...
2: Excuse me, we need, we've need. we all run a Bort license plate. <laughs> <laughs>
1: My son is also named Bort. Um, <laughs> uh, when competing in your first international tournament, such as, for example, the Yona Oversea Masters, do you recommend having shoes to wear? And second part of the question is, would you recommend sushi as a great hangover cure? <laughs>
3: Yeah, so the thing was, like, Renée, she was, <laughs> she was very excited that we, we came to Yona, and then, uh, yeah, we met Roger, and it was like, oh, cool, these guys are here. And I, I can imagine, because back in the day, Renée was still practicing a lot and and. and trying for the swiss, swiss female uh football team
0: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> so i can imagine so I was, oh we got these belgian guys over <laughs> they're gonna be great <laughs> and then we show up without shoes <laughs> and I, I i still remember her face <laughs> she saw my shoes she's so like are you gonna wear those <laughs> i was like yeah <laughs> and then uh that night we got uh, i i got i guess we got very drunk and then the next day we also had to play and we went to the little. It's like, oh this us just get some sushi. <laughs> it's gonna be feel it's gonna feel great for our stomachs.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> Which it doesn't. Like I, I would not recommend Confirmed. sushi before playing a football match <laughs> when you're dehydrated yeah. because sushi is absorbs even more water. Yeah. So <laughs> if you wanna spend half the match like standing on the sidelines <laughs> bend over then you should definitely eat sushi yeah. <laughs> before you're playing your first international football match. It's
2: weird, too, because small Swiss villagers are usually known for their high-quality sushi. That's <laughs> one of the <laughs> Yeah, it's
3: especially, like, the, the sushi in the little, back in the day, I think it, it wasn't made on the same day. Mm. So... um yeah, it was kind of dry.
1: That was like a brilliant idea all around, <laughs> quite frankly.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, we didn't really know what we were getting into. Yeah. But after after the the matches, they said like, well, considering the shoes mm. and your um, dietary um, <laughs> preferences, you guys played great. <laughs> <laughs> you showed heart. And that's what they all say. Like, oh, you, <laughs> you really showed heart. You, <laughs> you went for it. So I think that's like the nice... German thing to say. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you t- thanks for trying, but <laughs> maybe next time.
1: <laughs> yeah, at least you tried. That's, that's important, though. Yeah. I think.
3: Oh, we went we hard. And also, like in Jordan in, in the summer, it was like 35 uh, degrees Celsius. It was right. beating hot, which doesn't help when you're dehydrated. <laughs>
1: it's a nice way of just saying hungover. But yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Bert, for the for the question.
0: Yeah. Bort,
1: I believe it is Bort. Mm, Bort, <laughs> yeah. Bought, yeah. Uh, Malcolm, do you have any
2: questions? Uh, yeah, I've got a question here from a uh, a Brent, the Jellyfist Lehman, and he he wants to know what inspired the name Jellyfists for the for the Belgian team, because. Yes, Brent was nicknamed the Jelly Fist back in 2015. I think we know the answer. Obviously, he inspired the name, but do, <laughs> do you have a, the story of where, the, where the, the name the Belgian Red Jelly Fists came from?
3: If I say that he is by the name, is he going to ask for money? Well, there, there,
2: there is another question. Don't open yourself uh, up to a lawsuit. There is a backup question, <laughs> a follow-up question somewhere about copyright laws and something or else, but we, we, can, we can ignore that if uh, if you give us a, a, a good no, answer. Uh, it's like,
1: a messy area. I'm going to be
2: honest.
3: Like, um, I think you guys got your egos in check. Really? <laughs> Hope.
2: No, no. When
3: we started Belgian football... Uh, like and we saw your promo video and then we saw your website and also your competition structure and we're right. like oh this is really cool because these guys are also all the way with the uh, fist thing jokes <laughs> like <laughs> put your fist in it and yeah, like that kind of stuff yeah <laughs> so yeah that's uh, obviously that's something we loved. Mm. and then um i think ruben checked out the players names and jellyfish came up and they were like oh we, we need to uh, like a pick a team name like the red devils mm. and then the red
2: jellyfists we we loved it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's he's our inspiration. Yeah, he will always be. And so I, so we can confirm that the the actual name of the Belgian red jellyfish did come from Brent the jellyfish layman. Yes, one
3: hundred percent.
2: Because I think he'll be pretty excited about that. I think he was taking the piss, but now I think he'll actually be excited that if, if he is the the inspiration for that name. One hundred
3: percent. Yes. Easiest version for the name. Nice. It's funny,
1: talking about the, uh, the the fist jokes, like we obviously do a lot of them and we've almost desensitized ourselves to it. But sometimes you guys post something on Facebook and I'll still go, ooh. Okay, that's that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not even subtle. <laughs> I love it there. I love it.
3: <laughs> yeah, me and me and Ruben usually write the uh, detailed match reports. Yeah. When we, where we <laughs> play international tournaments, but we got like, because um, now we, we're being more serious. So in our day-to-day communication, we try to keep it more brief and less about you know hardcore fisting. Mm. <laughs> uh, a recommendation by my um, my vice president. Uh, shout out to Lean. Like see that like okay guys. Sometimes you need to you know convey to the people that we're an actual sport yes <laughs> it's actually fun to play and it's just not only about <laughs> yeah. yeah jokes <laughs> and then i was like okay <laughs> it's like okay lean so you know day to day we'll keep it more brief and more professional but when we play international tournaments i can still write like a book it's like okay sure you know international do whatever you want but you know keep it brief in the in the day-to-day belgian First,
2: <laughs> but yeah, it's an endless. But again, it's endless for us new guys. We don't have much to bring to the table <laughs> as far as fistball ability goes. So we we would like to think we've we've brought some humor to the game. Yeah, yeah. Basically, not one laughing at our terrible ability and also our yeah. We've we've really ramped up the the fisting puns game. Because <laughs> I can imagine, maybe maybe the Germans don't even
3: think about that. Like maybe it's just they don't associate <laughs> or play football with fisting.
1: Do you think it was just like a moment for the Germans where they were just like, oh, <laughs> just I guess this could be misinterpreted. I can
3: imagine, I can imagine Patrick Thomas finding <laughs> the connection and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, you write the text and then you, you put it full of yeah. puns and then you think like, oh, who am I going to tag? Mm. And you always tag, you guys and and Denmark and, and Holland and then you take the EFA mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jorn and and that and then you think like okay who's gonna like this post but usually they're they're all well received yeah like you guys know they're they're all well received yeah I think the EFA is very happy with what countries like us bring to the table yeah so yeah
1: we're very I mean we're we're all quite active and we bring yeah. a different element to the table that the established German clubs. Aren't going to bring to the table not because necessarily that they don't want to, but because they're already well established and they have a an image that they are upholding yeah. for being a reasonably professional outfit. <laughs> so, um, we don't, I mean, we can we can be silly as long as on the field we show that we are passionate about what we're doing and we're trying hard and we're showing signs of growth and development. Yeah, I mean, they don't care. They think it's funny. Yeah,
3: not on not only in the fields, but I I also remember I think at the World Cup the meetings. I think Rolf was always present on the meetings, and me and Bert were always present, even though it wasn't always easy. Because you know, you you go to bed late, and then you wake up early to go to the meetings, <clears throat> and then after the meeting you have to change and play games immediately. But I uh, appreciates that you you go to the meetings and you have, like you have an input in their decision making. So um, as long as you do that, I think they can take some fist jokes. <laughs> you can you can joke about fisting. With respect for what fistleball is, and I think that's what what's going on. Uh, we joke about fisting all the time, but it also shows that we respect the fistball community a ton. Because uh, our our coach Hartmut is um he's a very serious guy. Uh, he's a legend among fisters, and he, he like he doesn't joke a lot. And if he jokes, like he jokes, very German. So. Every now and then I try to put in, like when we talk to him, I try to put in like a fist joke. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it, it gives him a, a small smile and then I think, okay, if I can make that man smile, I think the
2: the world is a more beautiful place. Yeah. Tommy was a bit like that. So like, he would make some of these these jokes and you'd kind of... Actually, nearly double take and be like, "Did he mean what he just said, or is this a German?" And he'd kind of had this little smirk on his face, little smile. Yeah. So he'd be like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's picking up what we're putting down now.
1: At the word Champs, he was doing it more than we were. He <laughs> <laughs> we was just like, "Oh God, Tommy!" Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. He exactly right. He was he was saying all these things, and we were like, "Tommy!" Eh.
3: <laughs> it's like hartmut uh, he, he never jokes, but like when he does, it's. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like he always tells us we need to wear white socks. Because winners wear white socks, hmm. which is super serious—not even a joke. Like all these teams wear white socks. Yeah. So we bought these white socks, but you bought these uh, football socks. Like that, come up, come up to your. Um, yeah. To
2: the knee, yeah. yeah, yeah. To the knee.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we come out on the <laughs> field, on the field, and he's like, "What is that?" They're <laughs> so like, "Hey, it's white socks because winners wear white socks," and he's like. I said socks, not stockings. You <laughs> went out for five minutes. He was crying from laughter for five minutes. <laughs> like what? Who is this guy?
1: <laughs> All right, Sandra. I have oh. Sandra. I have one other question here. Um, what, I'm going to send you a photo on the uh, on the messenger here that we're chatting on. Yeah. And so this is a question from uh, a D head. <laughs>
2: First name, first name Richard. So,
1: uh, can you just describe the photo and tell us what is uh, what's happening here, and and is this normal Belgian behaviour?
2: So,
3: um, you remember how I um, touched upon the subject that this is a tournament. We should not call the Belgian championship. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a picture from that tournament. I think um, the guy <laughs> viewers can't see the, the, the picture, of course, but it's basically uh, five guys wearing a penis hat. <laughs> and then one guy not wearing a penis hat. Yes. <laughs> and this this team is called the penis of Jeff. <laughs> and uh, the guy on the right is called Jeff. Okay. okay. <laughs> and he wasn't in on the on the, on the joke. Right. I think this guy is finished like fifth. Wow. Or sixth in the belgian championship so uh, yeah. in the in the belgium cup as we call it um but yeah it's it's uh it ties <laughs> it ties in with the uh, with the fist team
1: <laughs> they're very impressive little hats just with the 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 balls just kind of hanging below the chin there yeah
3: it's also very clean you know um, very clean yeah it's hygienic
1: <laughs> were they wearing these while they were playing
3: uh a first first match but then they realized you know the momentum of the <laughs> head of the penis hinders (laughs) (laughs) their football ability not
1: not very aerodynamic (laughs) but
3: um it's it's when you look at these kind of pictures that you're thinking like oh man i'm missing out because of covid yeah like what's happening to the world like this this kind of thing you know
1: (laughs) isn't happening yeah Yeah. um that kind of comes to the end of our interview portion of it um sander do you have anything else that you wanted to ask us or talk about or anything
3: Yes, uh, so before the podcast, because I know it's uh, the most awarded podcast in football history <laughs> all around the world, and if I is listening, I asked my board if there's like an issue we want to, you know, bring up, like a serious thing. And um, we want to bring up the, the, the scheduling of the, the major tournaments, because uh, the problem is because of COVID, the World Games have been postponed, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. And also the European championship and the world championship. So back in the day when we were in Linz, me and Bert had a a meeting with um, the IFA about the future of uh, women in football, and we were very happy with the meeting because coaches from Switzerland and also other coaches agreed that, that there need to be more events, even in off years. So new teams have something to look forward to, like teams with only one team um and not a big domestic competition they need something to look forward to and they also need competitiveness so they don't only play against switzerland and austria Mm -hmm. and then in czech republic it was a european championship and we talked to karel about the world games so when the world games happen there's no european championship and also no world championship which is a huge off year for everyone not competing in the world games Mm -hmm. and then um, we talked to kyle who heard our problem and he was like okay and so after talking he was there's this thing called the Csit it's uh it's like the mini world games mm-hmm. I think it was in Istanbul or Portugal I'm not sure yeah and then the, the idea was pitched that maybe we because Beth was gonna ask Denmark and Netherlands to you know join the Csit for football. and then we were also talking to Karel, that like maybe the IFA can you know support us and also say like okay if the other teams all go to the C seat. We can make it like a little mini World Cup of non World games. Yeah, but like an official thing, like the matches count. It counts for your caps, and and and, and the scores count, and they're gonna be on the IFA website. And Carol was contemplating in it. And I think he was um, he was thinking that it was a good idea. Like why not? Mm. But now the problem is the World games are postponed, and the European and World Championships also, and they're this year, and the World World games, and the World games is next year. But the C-Seed is not postponed. So our problem is now like what happens next year. Mm. And I know the EFI is going into scheduling problems of their own because they still don't know like what's gonna happen with the European Championship and the World Championship. Yeah. But for us now, like we play these tournaments this summer, hopefully, and then next summer, then there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Like, absolutely nothing. And that's, well, something we would like to work with Eva about. But maybe they got an idea. And maybe at the European Championship, at the meetings, something will come up. But yeah, it's something we worry about because we think uh, smaller countries need to see each other and need to face each other and playing like one or two or three years without. Because let's say the World Cup was still in Chile instead of Yona, mm-hmm. Our women would not go to the World Cup because it's, it's too expensive, too hard to travel. Yeah, And yeah. then you don't have a World Cup. You don't have... World, you don't have a, nothing because it's world games yes. and then the next year I think there was also not really something going on so you go like a span of two years without without a tournament yeah which would make it difficult
2: I definitely agree with with all the things you gonna say I, I, and I think I think scheduling of international tournaments is is a really complex and difficult subject and I think as far as the women's teams go even more so and I think the biggest thing is is an amateur sport. Yeah. Anything we want to do, international tournament-wise, for any of us new countries, whatever, we don't have, we're don't we basically all self-funded. So anytime you want to go and play in a big tournament, yeah, it, it costs money and it, and it's hard to do. But at the same time, if you're not playing regularly, how can you improve? Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's really hard to juggle the balance of how do we get better and compete regularly. But also have it to be affordable, because I mean, you guys in in Belgium, yeah, the Euros if every four years. There's, there's one big tournament there.
1: Yes, every two years. Yeah,
2: for us in in Australia, like we have to travel all the time, and so for us, like we we get, we were kind of on the nearly on the opposite side of the argument. Of every two years for us is undoable. We can't afford to send our women's team to Europe or South America every second year. So we were kind of almost on the opposite side of like maybe if you make it every four years for a women's world championships, and then the world games for the bigger countries that have got more money, it's good. Whereas for you guys, it's a bit of a different scenario in that travel in Europe is very doable. You want more opportunities to compete in these big tournaments, but possibly you, you're not getting the access to them. So it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a really interesting dynamic. But then it's like, if you guys have an off year, let's say you have an off year, but you have like an active women's squad...
3: You'd reach out to, like, New Zealand mm-hmm. to play a tournament, right? That's
2: our, that's sort of our only option, really, yeah, is, is is New Zealand. I don't know
3: who organizes, like, the East Pacific Championships. Is it like an IFA thing, or it's like a different organization, or?
1: No, we we organized the last ones.
3: Ah, uh, gotcha, yeah. I was
1: just thinking, like, while we are talking about this, in my head, I don't know if it's a feasible option, but... You know, we have with New Zealand, obviously, this trans-Tasman tournament, which is meant to be yearly. Obviously, it hasn't been of late. But could you potentially have a tournament for what you? I guess you could call next-tier European teams, which happens yearly, men's and women's at the same time? And it's a thing that maybe the IFA kind of gives the thumbs up to? And it's a tournament that every year has a winner and you know you get your caps for it and you get to play quite regularly, but it's only next tier teams. I don't know how you police that, but
0: Yeah.
3: But the the issue with that is um uh, I think it may be, maybe it's it came up in uh in that meeting is do you want to organize tournaments
0: hmm.
3: for smaller teams without the big teams? Like in in the World Game years of course, because the big teams they're busy. But in winter tour, one of the nice things there was was we had a chance to play against Germany.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: Like even even how small it might have been, mm. there was always this possibility. I think like a team like um, USA or or um, like what not one of the big four teams. They got pretty far into the tournament out of the the B teams. Yeah. So that's always like that's that's a nice thing to have like the in, inside the competition you have the division yeah. I don't think it would be a good idea to to organize two separate world championships.
1: Oh, no. I'm not saying it's like a world championship. I'm just saying it's like a separate. So I was thinking it would be like a yearly tournament that you guys yeah. have this group that you're constantly playing each other and constantly trying to improve each other. But you still have your European championships, which is a big deal. Yeah. And you still have your world championships, which is a big deal. And those yearly tournaments would keep you guys playing so that when you get to the big ones, you guys are a bit more experienced and ready to go.
3: Yeah, that's something indeed. That's something we're looking for, like um, an EFA-backed concept, because we we can invite Denmark and we play a friendly, but it's like it's not EFA-backed and it's not you know big. Yeah, we can do it. Yeah, we just well, because
1: if you guys are hosting it at your respective locations, a you're not going to want one of the massive teams there because they're going to expect a really high-quality event, which you probably financially can't organize. But if you have one with smaller teams that have a lower expectations, I guess, you know, and you can kind of, they know what they're getting into, they can camp if they want to, but as long as you're like able to play each other over a weekend, have a winner, you know, it could just be end up being four or five teams or something, but it could be something to look forward to. If
3: I was like, oh, the CC guys compete in that, that would be such a great incentive for smaller countries and that would be like something, oh yeah, we support competition between the smaller countries to come up mm. because of course we have a lot of feasible neighbors but you you can't really count italy or germany or austria or switzerland as teams we can just go out and play against yeah it's it's just not doable
2: without wanting to totally throw rocks at the hornet's nest there's also the potential where well the current plan from all i understand is that the world championships in mannheim and 2023 is for 16 teams. Yeah. Which is two less than we had in 2019 at a time when seemingly more countries are coming up. Possibly they could increase the number or whatever, but there's a possibility that there'll be qualifications where it's, even though we don't get automatic access to these big tournaments all the time, every four years you get the big one. Mm -hmm. You get the world championships. Well, if all of a sudden it's only 16 teams that qualify... Well, then you don't even get guaranteed access to that yeah. one big tournament every four years. And for us newer nations, probably the biggest carrot that you have as far as development goes is the opportunity to play in that big tournament.
3: Yeah, there we go. Yeah.
2: If all of a sudden you don't have that, I'm not totally across the rules. But the way I read the rules is that it'll be more difficult for the newer European teams for yourselves and the Netherlands and yeah. uh, the the Czechs, whatever. If they do go ahead with that next World Championship with only 16 teams, there's a reasonable possibility that you'll have teams that want to go that can't.
3: And just to get it out there, I think the current IFA board is... is they're all with expanding the Fizzball. I think this might might be the most international-focused IFA board there has ever been. And I think they're doing a great job. And uh, the World Championship in Winter Tour is also amazing. They obviously have to make hard decisions. But like you said, when if the world championship in Mannheim is actually sixteen teams, it it will be one hundred percent sure without Belgium and Denmark and the Netherlands. And maybe uh, maybe you guys get in because of you know the the quota of but then that's the thing, you go to that tournament and you don't play against Belgium and you don't play against the Netherlands and you don't play against Japan, mm. which are also fun games to play yep. on a world championship level. Yeah. I don't have the answers. It's just something that worries us because we're really into Fistball. Yeah. We, we love it. And then, um, yeah.
1: Alright, let's move on to the match review. Uh, and for this match review, we are doing the positional matchup between Belgium and Australia. Very close to home for all three of us. Uh, From the 2019 Men's World Football Championships. For those that didn't watch the uh, one hour, 50 minute epic match, uh, it was won by Belgium, 3-2. The score was 15-13, 13-11, 6-11, 8-11, 12-10. It was about 20 minutes per set, and we screwed up the schedule for the rest of the day for all the other teams. (laughs) As the commentator so clearly said at the end, it went on and on and on, but eventually it got done, (laughs) which I thought was a perfect encapsulation of that game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What what were your first thoughts of watching the game again, Sandra? Uh, I should should point out as well that none of us played in that game.
3: No, yeah. I was... um... Well, I, I'm not going to lie, I love seeing myself on the big screen. <laughs> so first I was bummed out about the faraway camera. Yeah. Because, you know, superstars like us. No close-ups, right? Yeah, deserve a close-up during the national anthem. And it's kind of mm. a bummer that um, field two, like the second best field on a world championship, didn't have that. Maybe mm. before we go on to the match, let's touch on that yeah. point. So I also watched games from the world championship from the women's. Yes. And they got close-ups, yeah. five different cameras yeah. on all the fields. And then it's a shame that the men's world championship, although super professional, didn't have those cameras.
1: I was surprised by that as well. Just the distinct lack of um, a secondary camera set up on the other side of the field, for example. Or even at the baseline.
3: It's just a small suggestion for the EFA. Like Us smaller countries love seeing our players full frontal on the field please put more cameras like on your second best field and your third best field. Yeah. But apart from that, like, um, yeah, the match, <laughs> it was different than I remember. I, I remember like, Oh, we came back. No, you guys came back in striking fashion, got a bit lucky yeah. in the third and fourth set. And then in the fifth set, we absolutely drilled you guys, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's not quite how it wow. happened. Not, yeah. how it happened. <laughs> not exactly. That's absolutely not how it happened. So, um, The first thing that was very obvious to me was the giant child they put in front of you, Malcolm. Oh, that that
2: kid that was eight foot tall. Where did they find that kid? The kid was huge and then the guy next to you Dawson,
3: is like a foot taller. or he's like the smallest kid ever. Why did they put a...
2: Why was that kid so tall? I jumped because I couldn't see over the kid in front of me.
3: And then you're like, oh, this kid in front of me is so
2: much taller I have to jump and then you slap the guy's ass next to you and I'm like, okay. Okay, let's go. Well, the two guys beside me, the two guys beside me, I, had, I think I had... JD it was definitely one side of me who is jd's about six foot four yeah and his kid was barely at waist height fam he had this little short ass kid and then i had this tall kid who was basically the same size as me might have been an inch shorter than me at best so uh about the, about the match um we were really looking forward to playing you guys
3: against because um we didn't expect playing you guys again because we the match before we beat you three nil and then for the placement match it was like 90% sure we had to play against Holland. Mm. But then you guys somehow beat Serbia, which we were rooting for. That game was amazing. So we were very happy to play you guys against. Mm. It just became this, you know... How many winners did they hit during the game? Like five? (laughs) Tops?
1: (laughs) There was not many. I think I sent a message to Malcolm um, last night when I was watching it. The first set was so hard to watch because anytime a team got the upper hand, immediately shot themselves in the foot mm. yeah. someone would, they'd hit a almost a winner or something and they'd ha- they take the lead and immediately they'd just have an incredible fault that was completely yeah. unforced in every way mm. it was pretty hard to watch
2: yeah I, ha- I had a book. for for winners and a book for unforced errors and I went through four books of unforced errors and I never never marked down the book of winners it was basically like I still feel like we were probably nearly the better team but we lost too many points and the amount of points that you guys kept alive and then we lost and that was that was the game it was, it was an epic challenge it was, it, was, it was so good it
3: was close fought though but i think our like our strikers were really tired and your strikers as well Because like the match before when we beat you 3-0 it was a lot easier to hit winners mm. also you, you guys were better in the last match but just you know mm. our strikers were also better in the match before this was a like like defensively it was, it was a fine game i mean not every ball was hit hard so it might not all have been really hard on the defense, mm-hmm. but to hit every ball back, like even if they're not that hard and some of the dives like uh, from Paulo and, and John Yaw and, and Bert yeah, that was that was all really good, and then the strikers always got in beautiful positions yep. and they just <laughs> hit like these flutters over, over the net and then yeah, nothing happened. So that's kind of yeah. how the match was, but it was still beautiful, you know it was a, yeah. an epic conclusion. Yeah.
1: yeah, still entertaining. Like you were saying, I'd find that if the first hit wasn't a great hit, particularly for Belgium, um, throughout the entire match, really, if the first hit wasn't a great hit, I was still confident that you guys were going to get it back. The amount of times that you guys yeah. had your third hit from in the back half of the court yeah. in an awkward position yeah. and still got the ball back.
3: Yeah, and the, the big thing, I think, was the first set, I think we were... Better. Although we didn't hit the big winners, but I think we were the better team. But then in the second set, mm. like the commentator also said, like you guys changed how you were standing on the field, and it was so obvious, <laughs> but we didn't see it. Like your front players got more to the middle and your back players mm. as well, and price got all the way to the back because all our hits were the same. So we allowed that way just mm. pure positional to get you back in the in the game. Yeah. I think the second set was our worst one even though we won. Mm. And I think that was like the changing point in the game. If you guys won that second set, yeah. uh, it was over. I'm pretty sure of it. The, the, commentator was like, like four, uh, yeah, the
1: commentator was like he could not believe how many set points we came yeah. up. He just kept talking about it. Just kept, Australia have given up so many set points. They cannot get this done. Like I
3: wrote down like the first good ball of our striker, Rick. Rick, the yeah. First, you know, challenging ball was at the end of the second set. Like that's the first time he didn't hit the ball straight through the middle.
2: Mm. But like mm.
3: to the sides, so John Yaw couldn't get it. And then the third and the fourth sets, you guys won those sets pretty clearly. But in those sets, I already saw like, oh, we, I think we're going to get this. Because finally, our strikers were starting to, you know, switch it up. And mm. even though we lost the two sets, I felt like, okay, we, we were growing into a game plan to yeah. which we can beat them. Even though we are growing tired. And as it just comes down to, like, if you guys win the second set, there is no fifth set, mm. and it's over. Yeah. Right? We, we didn't have the time
2: to grow into it.
1: I mean, Australia had a set point in every set except for the first set. The opportunities were definitely yeah. there.
2: No, we uh, definitely had, we had a set point in the first set. Did we? We had a set point in every set, yeah.
1: Um, I just want to make some quick comments about the, uh, the commentator. I I actually love the accent. Uh, I love that he clearly doesn't know anything about fistball, but his accent is still making it work. Uh, But just a couple of things about him. First of all, he called us Argentina about three or four times during the broadcast. All the time, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And he didn't correct himself. He just said Argentina and he'd just have a big pause and then he'd just keep going. I was like, okay. (laughs) Another thing was he um, really nicely at the start, first of all, he gave Matt McGraw a shout-out straight off the bat, said how old he was. Forty-two. And then uh and then he said then at some point he during the game, because it was going kind of slowly, he I guess he just saw all of our ages and he's just like, Oh. And he started reading out how old everyone was. Yeah. And then he said very nicely, Well, oh, this Australian team is very experienced. Not old. Yeah. I wrote that
3: down on my on my yeah. on my sheet. Like he said the Australian team is very experienced. Very experienced.
1: But then further on, I think it was in the fourth step, he kind of said this squad is a very old squad. <laughs> that was his exact words.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was
1: just like, okay, I'm, I'm not being polite anymore. These guys are
3: old. <laughs> but you're, you're saying that like he's not a regular football commentator? Or...
1: No, I think he's just a professional commentator, oh. but for all sports.
3: Oh, gotcha. Guess the thing is, you know what I noticed is normally when we play a game like in Ademansfeld, we come up and then Hartmut comes up and Then the commentator just talks about Hartwood for thirty minutes, and then two sets are two sets are over, and then it's like, oh yeah, but these guys are also playing football. so let's talk about the third set. Yeah, and now with this commentator, he was like, oh, and the coach is Hartwood Mouse. Yep. and then that was all he said, and I was like, oh wow, that's refreshing. Yeah, like there's actually a team on the field. Yeah, yeah, he was
1: actually talking about the plays and what we were doing, and um,
3: yeah, he was
1: a yeah. bit more engaged.
2: Yeah. yeah, one of the big things I noticed is how he. He was quite good at early, and, but then he just kept pronouncing a lot of our names with sort of like a Spanish accent, like for some reason. He's like, Lee Li Maroney. It's like, you don't need to roll the R's on Maroney, mate. We're from Australia. Like, Dobson. And you're like, no, it's Dobson. No, no, we're, we're, we're Australians.
1: It's still Australian.
3: It he uh, did a good job on the Belgian names. Though. Yeah. Like, they were all wrong, but they were less wrong than the, the normal regular German football commentators. But we have some hard ones like Van Berendonk, it's not it's not an easy name to pronounce. And then one of our back players, like his um his roots are in like Bulgaria or something. Okay. So his last name is like all these letters without vowels. <laughs> right. So they usually pronounce it horribly and this guy <laughs> he did a good job yeah. though. Like um, oh, he's a professional.
1: Yeah. Uh any other any other points from the game that you wanted to bring up? Before we get to the votes,
3: um. Um, yeah, I thought uh, the ending of set two was it was incredible. Mm. Like you guys already mentioned, uh, the one ball, Martin van Stey, our setup pulled over yes. the net
1: when the point was yeah. already over. That was yeah. down. Yeah,
3: that was man. He dove for that ball. It was it was insane. And then we won the point. Yeah, and it might have been like the the last point we needed to win, mm. or like an equalizer. And then afterwards we won the set. Yeah, yeah, that was beautiful.
1: Yeah, I've got uh, down here that it was an incredible save and then the, yeah, the miscommunication, yeah. which resulted in, I think Bryce hit it out, but he didn't realize he had to hit it or something like that. But yeah, costly.
2: It's that classic new Fistball Nation thing of assuming you've won a point yeah. before you've won a point.
3: Because <laughs> also after the Martin saves that point, hmm. like the point after Rick Hits probably his best shot of the game. Mm. Like his first good shot, the first shot in between the attacker and the defender. Yaw yeah, dived, but he just couldn't get it. Mm. Yeah. So I think, like, okay, good. Like this second set, it's it's a gift that yeah. we wanted.
1: Yeah. Because, yeah, we're up 10 6, I think, at some point. Yeah,
3: something like that. It was crazy. And mm. then the fifth set, uh, I remember I was standing next to Rick because I'm also the assistant coach. Mm. So I was standing next to him. And you guys hit a lot of balls to him mm-hmm. yeah, because, you know, he's our main striker and he was getting better. So almost every point I had to say, like, okay, Rick, move a little more behind. Like, I always had to put him a little bit more back so he was positioned perfectly. Mm-hmm. So I think he, like, in the fifth set, he almost got all those balls. Yeah. Like, it's swirled at him. He almost got them all.
1: it was a really successful tactic at the start, like, Amy at Rick, not because he was... Messing it up but it seemed to be Throwing him out of rhythm A little bit And when he was taking That first hit The set usually Wasn't as good And then the attack Usually wasn't as good But you're right In that last set Rick was doing A really good job Of getting all those Balls back into play And in a good position And Martin as well Started off shaky I thought In the first two sets And I thought that In the last three sets He really came into his own And he was getting Some really good sets Mm -hmm. Close to the net Plus those Nice little defensive saves And I also thought That in the last set you can really feel how tense everyone is. Everyone's playing, particularly the Aussies, are playing so safe. Yeah. There were so many sets that actually looked like they were going to bounce perfectly, but the attackers were panicking and getting onto it early because there, there was a fear that it might bounce into the net and give over a point. So everyone was just kind of hoping the other team, well, the Aussies, I think, were hoping that the, that the Belgians would make a mistake. And you guys just weren't.
3: But yeah, yeah. It wasn't obvious. Yeah, you, Of course you hope that because, you know, you see the entire hour before that that's how you play this game. Mm-hmm. Like, don't make mistakes. Yeah. And everyone felt, I, I hope everyone felt, even in the stadium, that this game was so big for us. Yeah. For you guys and for our guys. Yeah. Like, it was so big. Like, I, I, the explosion from Martin maybe we won the second set after he did that ridiculous save, that was just a start. But then the explosion at the end, that was just... Yeah, it felt. Oh, sorry. Like sorry, you guys didn't feel that, but it was so <laughs> fast. <terrifying. laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I also thought the uh, the best point of the game was at seven seven in the last set. I don't know if you remember this one. I count. I actually went back and counted it because there was thirteen oh, sequences of yeah. over
2: the net. Um, yeah.
1: Over the net. It just went forever. There was there was a save by John. This huge diving save. And then there was a whole bunch of really desperate hits from both sides to keep the ball in the play. I actually can't even remember who won the point. I think Australia might have actually won that point. But it was incredible and it was desperate and you could hear the crowd getting tense because both teams were throwing everything at it. And that was just like at a dire point of the game, final set tied up at seven.
3: Yeah, the final set was beautiful. Leonard. I mean, I th- I think we were the better team, yeah. but I understand where you're coming from. And I, I think this kind, this is the kind of game that you know we can both agree that we think we were the better team. And I think the the final set, I don't think the match could have ended more beautiful. I mean, wow. except for a win, of course. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, it's, it was a great final set. Yeah. Like if at the end, it's like 11-11 and the EFA is like, oh, you guys just want to accept a draw? <laughs> I mean, yeah, this would be beautiful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Let's get on to our votes and just try and get through them quickly. So for my one vote, I did the 3 two, one by sets, and I'm going to respect it. I gave one vote to Martin Van Stey. I'm probably butchering it. Yeah,
3: Martin Van Stey. Van Stey? No, it's fine.
1: He was, like I think I, you know, I said a little bit earlier, I thought he was a little shaky early. I don't know if he was nervous or he's just kind of getting his, his, his footing, but from the third set onwards, or actually even in the second set, he was starting to get going. And then in the last... Two sets, he was steady as, and he had that, yeah, that epic save in whatever set that was, and yeah. then the last set he was just nailing those sets, putting him in a spot, and once Rick was able to get onto hits near the net, he was another beast. He was able to hit angles, and Martin was kind of opening that up for him. So I think that was the defining factor.
3: The cool thing about Martin is he's a lot younger than us. Like he's. Hmm. We always say it's like 17, but it's not true. I'm not sure how old he is, like 23 or something. He's not really part of our friendship group. Okay. So he's like the one of the first guys that got recruited. And we hope that's something we can continue because he's also one of our best players. Always. He goes for every ball. He's, he's super into fistball. Mm-hmm. And we, I, I introduced him on to, on to football because um, I lived with him in the dorm. Yep. And he was just, you know, struck with it, like you expect everyone to be. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, okay, Martin, you going to go to Germany with us? I was like, yeah, sure. And he went with us, all the guys, with respect to, you know, the experienced team of Australia. <laughs> and he went with us to Germany and, and, you know, he's been with us ever since. And, of course, now he's a, he's a great friend of us. Mm. But, yeah, he's a great, great player. Also a great guy to have on tournaments. Yeah just as a personality okay. yeah definitely
1: okay yeah nice uh the only
3: thing is he, s- he sucks at attacking because <laughs> you know once he lines up to attack like in the second set i filmed it like when he lined up to attack and i sent yeah. it to the fistball group like what's gonna happen next <laughs> and every every response like he's gonna hit it under the net <laughs> which he like it, he hit it over the net but it hit the net really hard okay so uh but yeah Great, great guy, yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, do you have one vote, Sandy? Go on to you.
3: Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. Um. So I had to think about who I would put for my one vote and my two votes. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I put this guy on the one vote is because he got switched out. And it's going to be Paulo or Nicolas from Australia. I think he played tremendous in a defensive game if your defense doesn't make a lot of mistakes. You know, he stood out. But Lehmann also played really good, so maybe it was our strikers who didn't play that good. But I, I still think it's it's Paulo's talent. Yeah, yeah, I think he played a smashing game. If he didn't get swapped out, he would have ended higher. Yeah. But um, yeah, my vote is definitely for Paulo. He's also a great, great guy.
1: Yeah, I had him in. I had him for votes, but I didn't. He didn't make my top three. But yeah, you're right. Like if he kept playing, he probably would have made it up into the votes because he was very. Consistent yeah. in the back there. Just everything that went to him seemed to come back. So, Malcolm?
2: Oh, uh, yeah. I'm getting one vote to, to Dobo, Derek, the Dobfist Dobson. I think he was probably Australia's best player when he was good. Unfortunately, yeah, like he, he made a few misses on big shots, but he missed going for winning shots. So, it's sort of, yeah, like they weren't unforced errors. Yeah, I feel like it was one of those games where he was going for the winners and he missed them a little bit wide or whatever. And he he, he kept Australia right in it and he made a lot of winners that put us right on the cusp of almost winning it. But I, th- I thought he was pretty pretty good all game. So yes, I, ga- I gave Derek the fist fillet Dobson one point. Okay. Yeah, the fist fillet. It's a good nickname. <laughs>
1: Do you want to move straight on to your second one, Mal, or are you... All
2: right, yeah, I'll go to my second... Yeah, we'll swing it back. And we'll snake this one. Yeah, we'll snake this one. I'll, I'll go to my second vote. To be honest, this guy actually had my... He was my one vote most of the way through the game, and, and then I, I flip-flopped him out. Rick Voughton, he was great. He, yeah, he, he just did what he needed to do. He hit winners, he, he served well, he, he made very few errors. Yeah, he, he was... It was just solid. Like he, I don't think there was anyone in this game who was spectacular. You know, you got two countries that they finished what was it was fifteenth and sixteenth because they don't have spectacular players. Uh-huh. So you you don't finish fifteenth because you've got great players that are amazing. You finish fifteenth, sixteenth because you out outlast the opposition against. And I thought Rick Rick was more consistent than our attackers were. Without being spectacular, he was. He was very solid and didn't make mistakes and and won enough points to get you guys home.
3: Yeah, fair assessment. I think his major improvement is defensive because he's going to get targeted all the time. Yeah. And against you guys in the last set, I don't think he made a defensive mistake. He just stood at the right spot and he played well. It's not my second photo because, you know, I know Rick and I know he can do better. And he was tired. And I don't think it's... uh, I should vote uh, an attacker in this game <laughs> sorry attackers my second vote is is going to you know the best national australian
2: football player i don't think i played this john game. john yaw oh
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes well played senor Milne. yeah
3: so i, I put in john yaw and I, I first put him behind paulo because i think yaw made some mistakes in the first sets but he came back and <laughs> Yeah, both of your defenders, it was really hard to choose. You know, if, if Polo didn't get swapped out, I would have went for Polo. But I think y'all ja played a really great game. Also, he's not as experienced <laughs> experience, <laughs> as, you, yeah, yeah. as the rest of your team. <laughs> I think it also gives him an edge to maybe, you know, last a little bit longer. Yeah. But I think I think every set he was just good. Mm. He just played good. If he did the reception, his balls usually went deep into the fields, yep. making the setters... Job a little bit easier so yeah that's who i had for my second vote
1: nice for my second vote it's actually very similar to Mao's. i have rick as my second vote um obviously he is your main attacker and he is the main driving force of winning points for belgium and he i mean man he can he can really whip it Sometimes, oh. like when he gets onto it, sometimes it's just the way the speed at which it hits the back of the court is actually comparable to, to some of the better teams. Mm. I think he was struggling a little bit with getting sets close enough, and like you were saying, he was doing a lot of the same kind of hits at the start. But then, one, as the game went on, he was hitting angles a lot better, he was hitting openings. Like when John Yore can't get to a hit, yeah. um, he's hit a good hit. So, yeah, I gave him my two votes, it's super important. So, yeah, wait, so- yep, go
3: oh sorry so yeah hartmut is always uh yelling against rick because rick is our best player and when he's like in his mindset like i'm just gonna hit it hard through the middle and it's gonna yeah. be easy for the opponent hartmut is always yelling and i think i remember in the in the end of the second set he hit this one ball that Sean Yar just couldn't get mm-hmm. and in my mind it was a point that hartmut was just yelling out of excitement <laughs> because it was finally what we know that rick can do and he, he should just do it more often. Yeah. But
1: yeah. An interesting side note, I think there was one drop shot in that entire match.
3: Yeah. Very little.
1: Which is just it just doesn't make any sense really. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of tired
3: your attackers were your attackers were way back. Sportsmanship. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Should I jump
2: in there and give my three votes? Sure. Uh, my three votes was Martin Van Stay. He was your uh, setter, yes? Yes. I don't think he played an amazing game or anything, but I think one of the biggest reasons Australia lost was inconsistent setting. as in, We lost a lot of points with bad sets that flopped over the net, and Martin Van Stay, without being spectacularly amazing, he set really consistent sets all game to put you guys in good positions, and I couldn't put anyone ahead of him on their influence in the game, for me. Yeah,
3: it's fair. Okay, so now... Uh... My turn or your turn, Chris? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay, sure. So for (laughs) my three votes, I put Bert, Bert Stoelen, because he's just, you know, he's dependable, he doesn't make mistakes. And the the thing he does really well is, um, apart from going for every ball Mm. and also being chill and the best teammate you can ever imagine, if he does a reception, it's always to the front of the field. Mm. Always. His receptions make life easier for the setter and the attacker hmm. to get an attack off just like martin's setting is always close to the net um which is a valid point i think bert's uh, receptions are usually almost always to the front of the field. yeah so yeah i put best tool i guess you know i can't it's hard to find a, a an actual mistake maybe one time he had some miscommunication with peter hmm. but apart from that and and also he just if the, if the defender next to him is less mobile which is usually when i'm standing there or Peter, which <laughs> is the case bert easily compensates yep. for that without people noticing he just you know he just does it yeah so yeah i put um, bert on the three votes yeah
1: i thought him and both him and john were like standouts as far as diving for the ball they both had spectacular volleyball type saves and I wanted to give both of them votes, and both of them got individual votes in my set-by-set, but I think that neither of them got enough of the ball during the game. Mm-hmm. It seemed like when they were involved, they were very steady, but I felt like there was big parts of the game where the ball wasn't even going their way. So for my three votes, I actually gave it to an Australian because I'm completely biased, but I gave it to Bryce, Bryce Griesheimer, Griesheimer. Not just because he was keeping me out of the game <laughs> as the... Uh, I was I was warming up for three sets because I think after at the uh, end of the second set, Bianca came over and said warm up because I think she thought the Bryce was getting a bit sore. And then I warmed up for about an hour and then the game finished. So. <laughs> but he was very steady. He w- he deserved to be out there because he was getting the ball hit at him a lot directly from Rick and he was returning a lot of it into the right place. He was um, his sets were a lot better than anyone else's on the team. I would say I think. When he came into the attack occasionally, he was damaging. I think we were talking about that a little bit yeah, earlier, Sander, that he was exactly a little that. bit different. He was, he was more aggressive hitting the angles. And um, I think the only negative I would say from the attacker-setter formation was that Bryce probably took too many of the first hits when he didn't need to. I think that there was some softer hits where he could have left it for one of the defenders and then he could have been the one setting the ball. Whereas I think when the ball was going to the attackers from his first hit, um, the attackers weren't as... Both Dubbo and Lee weren't as set to do sets, if that makes sense. A lot of their sets weren't close to the net or or high enough or or whatever. So that would be my only critique. But I thought that he was critical for Australia. So
3: I gave him three votes. Yeah, we talked about it when... Malcolm was taking a break. I took him in, in consideration because, like I said to Chris, when he attacked, I was always on the edge of my seat. And then after the game, I thought, like, man, it's such a bummer. He always started from the back line, usually getting the first ball, because I think he could have made a difference yep. if he just had more opportunities to, um, you know, change up the game. Yeah,
1: agreed. Hey, before we uh, before we get to the shout-outs, I just want to ask one question, to stand up. Sure. I'm just looking at the team. For Belgium on the uh, the website for the Fistball World Champs you know we've got positions here spiker, setter, defense and then I look at your name and your position is other <laughs> <laughs>
3: What? What
1: does that mean? <laughs> normally, normally,
3: they put like all around. Oh, all around. Other, that's. that's... Other.
1: <laughs> gets, the, gets the waters. That's
3: probably what you should have told them to put. It's probably. It's probably a, other doesn't sound good. A bad translation or something. Mm. You know, the IFA doesn't speak English, you know yeah, that. Yeah, right. <laughs> other, wow, I, I need to uh, message Roger about that because, you know, that's fly. Unfortunate. Yeah, I'm kind of like a team mascot and sometimes I'm on the field as well. <laughs>
1: Fist. Fist. Boy. Guys, let's get to the shout outs to finish off this episode. As we cross over the four hour mark, I'll put that on the edit. Um who wants to start? Sandra, do you want to, do you have any shout-outs that you want to send out into the football or otherwise world?
3: Yeah, I got a few. Yeah. First I have a great story about our chaperone. Ours was Rolf Siegrist. Uh, shout out to Rolf. So you you talked a on podcasts about how most football clubs come out of these um, Tournierverbonden, these gymnast clubs, right? So Rolf is this this old guy with a white moustache, giant arms, giant legs. Mm. And then after we met, we would always start drinking a little bit because we're professional players and they're like oh Rolf do you want to drink with us and he like, no 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 I stopped drinking I stopped drinking and at one time he's like okay all right I'll, I'll drink a beer with you guys <laughs> he, he drunk a lot like only those Swiss gymnast guys can and then at one point we are out of money so we're is like here take my wallet and like Rolf I'm, I'm just gonna take your wallet and get beer go with me and then it's like but Sander you are my friend. <laughs> and he says it in Dutch. Yeah. He says, Jij bent mijn vriend which is awesome. So uh, yeah, the the chap was in the organization it was so it was so well done. Yeah. And Rolf was with us at the sidelines. He always brought us um bananas and yeah. you know, water and stuff like that. It was beautiful. Yeah. I don't know where they found him. He's just an amazing guy. Yeah. Um Rolf, love you. You're also my friend. And then um yeah, of course, Roger Willen, I want to shout out to because mm-hmm. you know he's like the the godfather of football, and also he told us he wants to play a set with us in Yona next summer. Nice. So that's gonna be legendary. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure he's gonna be the best guy in the field as well. Yeah, probably. Then I want to shout out Jochen and Guido because they showed us what football is all about. It, it's like do the people just you know list off all the shoutouts in a list? They can do, it, yeah. Or how do you? Usually do it.
1: You can do if you got a long list, you can just list them off, or you can talk a little bit about them if you want. But it's up to you.
3: Okay, so uh, this one maybe I want to talk about it. So I uh, shout out to Mark Godzol and his team. Um, I will shout them out. SV Erikshagen. Hagen. So they made songs for us. So when we come on the fields, yeah. they make songs for us. It started with uh, Ricky's on fire. <laughs> it's like Bill is on fire, the same song. Yeah. yeah. Nice. But then they also made one about Bert. Uh, I'm gonna try to sing it. It's uh, a <laughs> Oh, well everybody's heard about the bird 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 is the word
1: yes very nice and then okay. they also made a
3: song they also made a song for me it goes like um you better watch out you better not cry you better not pout i'm telling you why sander Coyen is coming on <laughs> yes i'll pay that but yeah that's pretty very good nice. so nice. that's pretty good dude. yeah those guys are Amazing. They also bought our fan shirts. We gave them a few shirts and they were always there. Yeah. Then a shout out to Ines Meyer. I don't know if you know her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She was a striker for Austria. She won an award last year for the IFA. She came to Belgium two summers ago, just to give us training. So she slept so like she literally slept on my floor <laughs> for two nights. Yeah. And then she gave us training. She's uh she's an amazing person. Hmm. And then I think I'm almost done. I I also want to shout out Mario Elina Schmidt. I don't know yeah. if you know them. Of course. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. Mario Schmidt, he's uh, one of the coaches of Funkstadt. Yep. He always wears a cowboy hat. He's a big fan of Belgium. He's also a big fan of the other part of Fistball, which is the, uh, you know, after party. <laughs> um, he played for us one match indoor tournament. I posted on Facebook, like, does anybody want to play for us? And then Mario called and he's like, oh, I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And he was easily the best player on the field. Yeah. And he's also our sponsor with Fistwear. So next summer, we're going to be wearing his shirts. Uh, for the big tournaments
1: yeah he he came out to australia about three four years ago Oh gotcha with with lena yeah with Lina. And they gave us a little coaching training thing yeah yeah,
3: yeah. i met them when they were coaching the polish girls on the world uh, championship in Linz. yes and those skills they did fantastic yeah. they uh, they achieved high above what everyone expected yeah. but lena and mario are just great coaches like when we first met mario he was just like sitting in his lawn chair drinking <laughs> like who is this guy <laughs> just showing up also we asked him if he wants to coach us our girls team and it's like as long as you pay my drinks I will be there but then when he's actually coaching you realize how much he knows about Fizzball yeah. and he's also he's got a great way of explaining it he makes it easier easy for beginners to understand what he's trying to convey so he's, yeah he's an amazing guy Mario mm. yeah and then Valentin Weber, I think is one of the big parts of the IFA presence or the entire media team of the IFA. Yep. And he also made a promo video of us, which is going to show up on Facebook soon. Cool. Be sure to like and subscribe. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he's a great guy. So I think those are my shout outs. Nice. If I forget someone, sorry, you're in my heart.
2: (laughs) Uh, Now. No, I think that's fair enough. I'm literally wearing a Belgian red jellyfish shirt made by Mario and fishwear. Like it's, he loves it. He's so passionate. Yes. And yeah, and also what he did for Hong Kong. It's just, it blows my mind. Yeah. You know, he's so, so passionate about
3: football and all parts of it, and he's always reachable and, you know. Absolutely. Do you have any others? So
2: that's it. Uh, I think we already shout out to Benny Giles.
3: Yep.
1: But we could give him another one.
2: Yeah. All right. You do your thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I don't, I don't have a ton of shout outs, but I do have some quick ones. A quick shout out to James Geddes and Mike Finos. We gave them a shout out in the last episode and it was kind of in a mocking tone and they were—they actually listened to the podcast and were quite offended so <laughs> they demanded a retraction so this is the retraction and a genuine shout out to Geddes and Mike. Geddes actually subscribes to the podcast and uh, listens to it every single time it comes out so I'll do a shout out to Rory Hotballs Liederman just from the South Africa documentary Just that reminded me of the time where he hit the ball and then slammed into the post at full speed and then just bounced up again and went back into play. It was one of the first IFA viral videos I remember seeing. It was just one of those videos you could watch on repeat, like on a loop. It was very entertaining. And uh, another shout out to Laurie Young, uh, just because he's putting 50 bucks into the FIFA bank account. So thanks for that, Laurie. Um, And that's it for my shout outs. (laughs)
0: Fist, Fist. Boy. <laughs>
1: I'm sh- I'm shutting up shop. All right, Sander, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really do appreciate you coming on and and engaging us for four hours and, and fifteen minutes of fistball chat. Thanks for coming on.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was um, it was a great time, and it was an honor to be on you know an award winning <laughs> fistball podcast. Yeah probably the only award-winning football podcast so you know very likely absolutely this is something i'm gonna tell my grandchildren yeah i hope so yeah (laughs) it's football history i I genuinely enjoyed it and indeed i hope we can soon meet uh to fist each other
1: (laughs) two belgian way to finish that
2: (laughs) i think we need to fist the hell out of each other at the first possible opportunity yeah And and i think everyone's waiting for that my
3: um my fists are looped and ready to receive. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: all right, well, um, let's let's finish up with an with an uru and a fist on.
3: I never listened so far in the episode. So what do I need to do?
1: You say uru and you say fiston.
2: How do you say goodbye in in Belgium? Yo like yo like yo is that like yo That's it, like really yo <laughs> yo <laughs> <laughs> muzzle in Australia we say huru hoo, huru is like what a what a kangaroo would say to someone yeah. to say goodbye ah huru yeah huru so it, I just say huru yeah and fist
3: on and then No we'll all say yeah, it okay Easy. that's that's how we do it I think I'm ready for that
1: alright <laughs> thanks guys huru fist on and
3: hey, now it's my turn okay alright um Okay, yeah, thanks guys and uh, see you next time. Huru and fist
2: on. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks for coming along. We love you, Belgium. We love all thanks, the rest man. of the world. Huru, fist on guys. <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys.
1: Fist
0: Boy.